wasn't so so simple that people were in one place, they migrated out from there. It's showing us that people had migrated back and forth. And this is actually, this giraffe is the first evidence that people had migrated back and forth between Europe and Africa. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Bernie Taylor a little bit later about... Um, about the cave, the cave art, the the panel in the cave of which I have the vision, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Really is a great chat. Bernie's a fun cat. Of course, before that we have Graham. I do not have the vision. Dunlop, how's it going, buddy? <laughs> to see these imaginary things in the cave art. Oh, come on, take it easy. You you saw you saw, I saw it from afar. I saw anyone. You saw a moose. You got to look at it from different distances and everything. You saw a cow. That's what it was, a cow you I seen? can't remember. How you been? Good. Not too bad. I was just looking for the email from Bernie to read. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You do some talking. I do some talking? Jeez. That was a good uh, chat with Bernie about the hero's journey and the ancient uh, art in the caves and stuff. And I, I mean, it's more intricate than I realized, even, even after... Studying his work for the podcast after talking to him, I find it's, it's finally seemed to click for me a little bit. So it was a good, good show. Nice. So, yeah, I got the email from Bernie here. Darren, people actually see the world differently. You and I have the ability to read between the lines. Oh, Jesus. Be sure to let me know if you see anything interesting in the gallery of discs, image gift. All new finds get named by the rediscoverer and put in the book. Regards, Bernie. So Bernie went out of his way and ordered to deliver to our local uh, staples a nice um, 11 by 17 or so print. That's not the actual dimensions. I don't know what it is. It's close to that. Print, high def print for the studio of the gallery of discs. Can I see it? Uh, yeah, sure. I just, I did take all the time to display no, it for the YouTube video. Look no, at no, it. I'm not going to no, see anything in there anyways, because yeah. I don't have the vision. Because you do so. not have the gift. You don't have the vision. Why don't you take a peek through that, and I'll get into our mail. Well, there's a, I just saw, is that the head of something right there? Like a, Well, you know like what? Because look, a if you look down in that bottom left corner, like over there, I swear I see a little mouse, right? That's the one that really stands out to me. Pass it over here for a sec. Right there. That looks like a little mouse with a little mouse oh, tail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then I started okay, flipping around for the, for maybe the if it is really ancient, maybe it's starting to fade and that's why you see them and they fade. Because I mean, like I say, I go each way. My kids were enthralled with it for a while. I don't think you should put it. You're going to ruin the book that I just got. Ruin the book? The $60 book. $60? That's okay. That 9-11 book I bought was a hundred bucks, 110 bucks. The, uh, Judy Wood Where'd one. Where'd the towers go? Yeah. A good book. We haven't even had her on yet. No, we haven't. No. Anyway, I am. I'm looking forward to the next time I, I uh, take some plant medicine. I'll take a peek at the thing. Oh yeah, that's good absolutely. Idea, yeah. That'll be interesting. And it'll be. I think it'll be a fun thing to just have in the studio. Just yeah, have it there. Yeah. No, thanks, Bernie. Really People appreciate. People will be it. able to come in and take yeah. a peek at it and see what they see, and yeah. we could get a whole Grimerican leg of um, animals named for the book. I mean, you can't beat that. We'll have a Grimerican hippo. Maybe there's a moai in there somewhere. A mouse. I found them. I think that people already found them. I wish. I was the first guy to find the mouse. I haven't found the fox again. Maybe I imagined it. 
Ah, what's going on here? Oh, come on. <sighs> Something's there, wrong with the jingle board? There's something always wrong with the jingle board. Get out a pen and paper. There it is. Write this down. Or a pencil. Or a pencil. Why don't I think I'm going to find a way to run the jingles through here. America I think that just works better than the button tapping. In the beginning, I just wanted the button tapping. 17th Avenue SW. Next line. Calgary, Alberta. Next line. Canada. Next line. T2T space 5H7. That's a peel box. Have you had you peeled off this label yet to see what's underneath? Wow. I don't, I don't know. The return address is one world government. Oh, I love it. Unless we get... Actually, I don't know. I'm going to stop saying that. Yeah. Because I got to yeah. yeah. manifest You it. don't want to manifest anything negative. Oh, boy. We got more CDs for you to put in your computer. Did people talk about... Were people asking about sending cash, Darren? Yes. Because you could send a, a book with cash in the pages as a fun well, way to do Actually, it. no. People were talking about sending U.S. postal money off. Yeah, that and didn't I work said you can't time, do yeah. that because last time we couldn't cash them. So, and I don't know if those are refundable after you do it. So, so oh, that is that. one world government. What is that? This is from Paul Barrett, one world government. I don't know if I was supposed to say his name. <laughs> if you don't want us you to say to your name, the fr- put it at the front, please. Not only do you have to put it at the, you can't put your business card at the front. It's a conspiracy and paranormal rock band. Oh, of government. Awesome. This is from their album, Signs and Symbols. Nice. We got a magnet here for the water cooler. We should have them on the show. And... We'll, we'll ask if we're allowed to use their music on the show. Oh, we got a Chemtrails counter. Oh, that's awesome. 2019, baby. Chemtrails. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's right up Cal- Graham's wheelhouse. He made his day. So what do we got here? Look at all these man-made clouds. Here is the promo pack for the conspiracy paranormal rock band entitled One World Government. Paul Barrett is the vocalist, bassist, and writer for the band. He has studied spirituality, paranormal studies, extraterrestrials, and interdimensional theory for over 20 years. In 2018, he also became a certified meditation instructor based in the Vipassana Buddhist tradition. Vipassana? Vipassana. That's what Michael's into. Right? Yeah. Actually, Lisa's yeah. going to go do that. Oh, wow. I that's think great. she's going to go do it at some point this summer. That's great. I can do it. I'm not there yet. 10 days I'd, of silence? No, I'll be back in like three days. Um, they kicked me out. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was the place down. tapping my foot. <laughs> Paul Barrett is currently doing interviews and podcasts and would like to join. What is this? A, this is a marketing. This is a. Uh, it's been, not a gift to the people. It's, it's a gift. marketing it's a, uh, thing. We've been duped by a marketing. <laughs> by the one world government marketing <laughs> plan. It would seem to be that. How do we do that? I mean, they sent plan? two, so they know there's two of us. They must listen to the show. Okay, here, hand me one. You can have it all. Anyways, we'll check it out, right? It sounds very interesting. We got some fan mail here. Yeah, oh, that sounds over great. Over the pond, UK. That might be close to where my mom was born. Where's that? In uh, Yorkshire. Does it say that? I think it says something Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, maybe, or East Yorkshire. Can you see? 
It's beautiful, uh, beautiful packaging, and the I like the Jesus stickers wrapped around it. No more sticking knives into stuff. What did I cut the other day? I cut something. Oh, can't get it out. I can't get it out. It's art. Yeah, can I see the package too? Oh wow, isn't that weird? Was that chemtrail? That's crazy. All in believer in chemtrails. That's awesome. And it's just, it's like, what's the chances of getting chemtrail art in a chemtrail calendar in the same day? Look at that, eh? With the moai there, all in believer. I get it. it's a hardback envelope. Darren and Graham. Can I have the uh, envelope, please? The other one. I have a drawer over here that this stuff goes in so it doesn't get lost or left lying around the studio by you. With a lovely little card with some string art in it. Oh, wow. This is going to be a tough read. <clears throat> yeah, it says uh, Wakefield, West Yorkshire. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, we better make sure we I'm don't Yorkshire. say your name now Yorkshire because you've again. given away your home address. No, I didn't. I just said the town, dude. Oh, that's right. Dear area. boys. So, yeah, the county. Okay. It's probably okay. county. Okay, I'm trying to read. Okay, we're done. The county? Is Yorkshire a county? No, but West Yorkshire might be. I was I actually know. just watching a show where they were living on boats in England. Yeah, yeah. the canals? Yeah. yeah. A boat on a canal. Yeah. That just seems crazy to me. I think you can kind of travel around the canals and stuff. You can go up and down to, the yeah. canal. Yeah. And you're allowed to stay in so, so my mom's hometown, Skipton, has a castle on the canal. It's a great little castle in this cute little town. Hmm. And there's a canal running through it. Maybe we could find a good excuse to check out a I'd love castle to do like, one day. A I'd castle tour do, in UK. Oh my God. I'd love to do a, like a, a contact in the castle. Can still contact be in castle. We'll go hunt for the Holy Grail with, with Randall in uh, castles in UK. Here. Yeah, that's a lot. That'd be awesome. Dear Boys at America, please find art and clothes painted with the... Love and smiles that you give me via the podcast. Like many listeners, I fall into that category whereby one is under the powerful and compelling illusion that he, she is actually friends with you. Both. I know that this is a fallacy, <laughs> albeit a normal phenomenon, which I am not ashamed. You know, someone actually, Garrett, friend of the show, Garrett, posted the picture in the chats today where it's like the podcast meme where that kid's sitting eating cereal with the poster. <laughs> I don't get it. And it's like the three kids are in the poster and the kid in real life is eating cereal with them. And it's like, when you listen to a podcast, it's like you're hanging out with your buddies, but they're not actually there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would find it, but the chats move way too fast. There's, there's no digging it up at this point. I am not ashamed. Hashtag all in believer in chemtrails illustration is in response to the best ever jingle, coupled with my deep adoration for Graham's passion about geo-slash-bioengineering. Nice. I know that you've grown to... I know that you've grown to own your jingle, Graham. However much you didn't seem to appreciate it being used to mock you. <laughs> I, too, am passionate about the topic, as you probably gathered. If I had gold bullion, Darren, it'd be enclosed. Alas... No. Belated new studio salutations to you both. I hope that you get, get settled deeply and happily. I'm so proud of you both for making such a great transition. 
I, however, like many, feel a sadness with regards to the igloo. May it rest in peace. Keep moving forward, lads. The igloo is actually still tarped up out back, and we're going to give it to Failed. We're going to give it to Failed's kid so that he can start his YouTube career out of it. So I am one of those every little help supporters with a measly monthly. Hey, the measly monthlies are the best. If everyone had a measly monthly, we'd be set. And you know what else the monthlies are good for? They're real good for the budgeting bills. bills. The bills, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You can't run a business the first on one-time donations. Like brutal. One-time donations are a nice bonus, but the monthlies pay the bills. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. We can't get anything new. We can't expand. We can't add any new expenses until the monthlies can cover it. Yeah, yeah. I'm self-employed, so things are tough some months, but at least I see how priceless the show is by exchanging some energies. All with soberly, sisterly love. I almost booked CAC in spontaneous in a spontaneous childlike moment, <laughs> willing to dent my credit card for the chance to hang in Colorado with Randall and the posse. But my logical adult mind halted my whim to the sad fact that it would be too irresponsible of me. For fuck's sakes, I lick my wounds and suck up my decision. If I win the CAC raffle... Oh, I was just going to say, maybe the raffle's still on. Then I'll take it as a massive s signal from the universe. I know that I'm rambling, but too bad, boys. I'm a Grimerican. I have a synchro, but the story won't fit on the space that I have here. I'll email it in one day. Guest request. I forget his name. That quirky man that worked with the monkeys that was going to bust open the Shakespearean conspiracy. Uh, that's uh, Robert Greene. And actually, Alan Green. Alan Green, and we're emailing with him today. And really? We're have him on right away. There's a little yeah. synchronicity. Yeah, he's coming back. Crazy. I'd like to hear how he's doing, please. Okay. In conclusion, I know that you're super busy, and know too that I appreciate you both and show more than my words will allow me in some written words. Does that even make sense? Just stay healthy and well, boys. Sending love, UK Posse, Shannon. Hash nice. She says hashtag adios mofos. Can I say uh, that? It's from the no agenda jingle. Yeah, I know. I know okay. this. Yeah. So Thanks. do you want to see the card or could I put it in the you drawer could, so it doesn't get lost? Well, no, it's probably, that, that card should probably stay out. It's got some okay. sacred geom geometrical significance and stuff. You want the one world government card? All right. Anything else? Not to... Uh, not P.O. Box related, no. You put the uh, thing behind the thing so no one can see it, but that's okay. We forgive you. Oh, so did I tell you, last night, the wife and I, Lisa and I, went out in the backyard because a friend texted her and said that the, and I used to have the Sputnik app on my phone, but texting said, oh, the space station's going by from 840 to 843 east to west. So we went out and we watched it. We were watching it go by and, uh, you can see it. You can see the sun is set beyond the mountains in the horizon. Was it reflecting upon the clouds at all? Or does that not happen? That doesn't happen. That's a, <laughs> that's a crazy illusion that I've seen. Um, I do make a point to try and watch the sunset every night just so I can just see it setting. But anyway, I digress. Um, anyway, so we were watching it, and we were, it was kind of cold outside. We watched it outside for a bit. And it was actually funny because you could see Lisa actually thinks it's aliens. But you could see, what is? well, you could see the, um, the space station. You could see the space station is big. You know, it's it's fairly big. It's probably like the size of a star pencil eraser, maybe not quite. What? You not said quite it was a, a pencil star. Eraser. Yeah, well, you know, like 
Or the the end of like a pencil held at arm's length. You know, it's a very it's big way star. Way bigger than a star. Very big, bright star. I'm sure you've seen it before and thought it was aliens. Guaranteed. No, I Guaranteed. knew. When I was with my UFO group in Vancouver, we went outside and watched it because we knew the space station Anyway, we're watching it. And you can see the big, bright space station. And then like, so I would say it's about two inches away, but that's like looking at it however many, you know, a couple hundred miles away. What's the space station? 150 miles away or something like that. Whatever the fuck it is. I'm looking at it and I can see the bright one and we all seen it and you could see two little smaller ones like in the exact same trajectory following it. Now I assume there are satellites. That's what I thought. It must be a couple satellites that are like in orbit with the space station. I don't know enough about the space station to know. What if, if it's just another module that's uh, not as bright that's attached? No, it's, it's what multiple nah, modules. No, it would have been too far for that. Too far away from that? It's like this far away in the Oh, sky. you're saying two into, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. so mm. it's, you know, it was mm. a ways away. It would be too, but it was very much way, 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 way dimmer. Anyway, the point, I, the reason I brought up the story because then we went in the house and we were watching it with the kids out the window. And I was like, watch this, kids. I was like, this is how, we'll do a little experiment, show why, how we know, a little, a little, not how we know, but a little trick to show us that the earth is round. And I was like, before that hits the ground, because it's going from horizon to horizon, before it hits the ground, it's going to disappear. Like, what do you mean? Isn't it going to go, well, we see it all the way to the ground. I said, well, no, because the sun's gone down over there. So eventually it's going to go behind the ball and it's going to disappear. Behind the wall? Like, behind, the, saying- behind the ball. Oh. So sure enough, you know, as we watch it, as it gets to probably, you know, maybe 30 degrees or so on the horizon, 30 or 40 degrees, probably 30 degrees, just sort of filters out for a second, gone. And that's when the sunlight stopped reflecting it because the edge of the world got in the way. Not the flat edge, the round edge? The round edge. Yeah. Is, what's it called? Edge. What's it called? Be careful when you like say edge because, you know. Oh, I know. I'm yeah. using all these confusing words yeah. to try and trick Wall, people. Wall, edge, like you're not really doing a very good job at I'm proving this round. I'm a sphere monger. Uh, so, yeah, that was it. No, I also went to a little, so I went to, have you ever been to the vault out in the Kananaskis? The vault? Yeah. So yeah. apparently the- The ro- cave. Yeah, the yeah, Rockies. Yeah, I used to do a trail run around there. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's big, actually. Yeah, we. I went. I was in it on the yeah. weekend. Yeah, we went. We took the kids out yeah. there. Hike. Kind of halfway up the hill. I was ready to give up actually because <laughs> it was set on the fucking thing two kilometers. So I, it's. I swear I hiked two kilometers, and it's snowy, and it says turn left at the trail marker, and we passed a couple trail markers, but there was no left turn. It was like just getting ready to turn around and. Lisa's like, no, come on, come on, come on. Sure enough, we come over a couple of hills, and there it was, turn left. We went up to the cave, had a little fire at the entrance. Was there anybody there? No. A couple of people stopped by while we were there, but no one went in the cave. So we went all the way, I went all the way to the back with the kids, the very back wall. Were they scared? They were, yeah. It's a I pretty was, big it's, cave. It's spooky like, back It's a pretty big there. cave, yeah. You think it's not going to get spooky until you're like out of the, like you can get around that one bend and the other bend and now there's like no natural light in that place whatsoever. It's just like you're going around corners and looking at stuff with your flashlight. Yeah. Like yeah. But it's cool. So that was a place where it was like going to be a couple of entrepreneurs hollowed out the side of the mountain to make like a storage Is facility. that the story? Well, there was rumors that it was for the government. There's rumors there going around shelter. it was going to be for government shelter, but apparently it was some company that was going to use it for Cold War nuclear-proof, comet-proof document storage back when there was clouds. You know, now they could fill that storage? motherfucker up with... with uh, they could fill it up with uh, 
servers. Hey, we could revive that. We'll throw some servers in it. WikiLeaks servers. Servers with just information and then reconnect them later after the EMPs destroyed the electro. Well, they'd be EMP proof in the mountain, I would assume. Uh-huh. Right? No, I, Connected I, to the internet still, but it's hosted uh, in the mountain, protected. That's where we'll put the show archive. So the Grand America show is one of the few things to survive the next Carrington event. Apparently Trump's uh, led some initiative to protect the U.S. from an EMP. Yes, usually we get drug into those. We get protected by association, or mostly just by closeness, yeah. geographic closeness. Yeah. Right on. So what else you got? That's what I was up to. The cave was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's big, and it, but it doesn't feel natural. It feel it does feel man made. Yeah, it is it's, man made. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. yeah, that's why it feels man made. Yeah, I know. It's man made. telling you. But when you're walking down the hill, you can see another cave up the mountain that doesn't look. Bad no, made. there's one that I want to do. Uh, there's a from a dry riverbed. Remember when I used to run up there, and I there was another one that's way up on the hill, and you can just see this huge cave. And I wanted to take you up there one day. Remember? Yeah, that's the one we seen though, because no, we had crossed that so. dry riverbed. Really? Yeah. Just on this last trip? Yeah. No. You walk across it. Can't be the same. Oh, who knows? Um, you know, we could have, those people were going to take us caving if we interviewed them on Spelusha the show. Is or something like that? Or there's a no, name of know. that mountain? I don't know. Those people were going to take us caving. What I forget what that? it was. It was like Canmore Caving or whatever. Yeah, what said they'd take us out caving if we interviewed them. I could probably instigate that again. I just got to get a, get a hold of Nehi. He's a, he's a spelunker. A certified spelunker. He's like, I'll take you in caves. You gotta like squeeze through, like on your. There's, is there any mysteries in the caves? Or any like, do you I don't find know. Anything? I any, ain't like, going treasure or anything, or like. I ain't going crawling through like any underground crevasse. underground passages that go all the way to the Middle Earth, like the the Hollow Earth. I don't know. You probably just keep crawling down, and you get stuck down there and die. Is there any bones or anything like? I don't know. You want to go caving? I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I, it's not for me. That's not for me. It's kind of a D&D thing to do, you know, like LARP, some live action role play and dress in your D&D stuff, bring your arrows. You can't dress in your D&D stuff. You got to wear like the cave suit and everything. You got to go with the certified spelunker and have a (laughs) headlamp. Are you going to show up with your moon robe, with your robe you're wearing, with your moonlight, doing your eclipse ceremonies? (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be like, get out of here, man. Come on. I was going to go to a sweat lodge this weekend, actually. Oh. It fell through. I'm going to go to the next one. Where's that? There's a couple. Oh, oh by Morley. Where's Morley? By Canmore. Reserve out there. Okay. It fell through because Madison's going for a sleepover, so I don't want to have to go pick her up at 7 in the Well, morning. if you ever want to go to, we can organize one in Calgary down to uh, the one that I go to in Champion. That'd be good. There you go. That's great. So what do you got, buddy? What can I play for? Actually, we got to play this one. Since uh, Shannon sent us the art, we'll give her the jingle. What? Oh, God. We, we need a new jingle. Yeah, the jingle pad's just not working. That's a pretty cool piece of artwork. I'm going to put that up on the over. I'm going to put that up over with the other artwork and take a picture. Graham is an all-in-believer. We can level that out later. Oh, my God. Hey, scare you? That one's actually a couple people's ringtones. Do you want quotes or do you want an email? Sure, give me an email. 
This is from Chip in Colorado. He says, hello, Graham. I hope you've been well. I want to let you know that the recent Gramerica show episodes have been amazing. I feel like I don't write you or participate in the chats as much as some others, but I wanted to make a point to let you know I really enjoy your content. Dell Bigtree was the most concise speaker I've heard yet on the vaccine topic. I'm not actively searching for information on this, but wow, he was great. I also really enjoyed Mark Grober's view on reality and consciousness. David Getoff's research is a treasure trove of healthy thinking, and I enjoyed his presentation style. Yeah, and that one was actually very unique. We asked a bunch of personal questions, and he he wasn't like at all sticking with his like any sort of pre pre done script. He was just uh, very open to answering everything specifically, which is great. That's en- the bonus. I enjoyed hearing more about Bigfoot from Seth Breedlove. I'm still very skeptical, but I need to watch some of his shows now. Talk about creepy, and of course, Randall is great as always. I'm only partway through the Gordo app, but it's great so far. For Lent, I gave up reading any news outside of work-related, so hearing you guys discuss politics and Twitter is interesting as my mind has been kind of shut off with no news or social media for a couple weeks. I do say I found myself a little sad that the intro was so short. I find myself looking forward to the intros because it makes me feel like I'm in your lives when you guys just talk about what's happening. I know it must be a weird... Oh, this is so weird. This is what Shannon was saying. I know it must be weird because I feel like I know so much about you guys, but you know nothing about me. This is one of the reasons I'm very much looking forward to meeting you and Darren. And so you can meet me and my wife. You guys have been a big part of my life, especially hearing about your experiences becoming sober. I sobered up last year, and I think listening to America was very helpful for me. I just finished the BBF episode, so that's the Black Budget Feed. Episode with the guys from Cat in the Box. Big shout out to Adam and Justin from that. Oh, Darren's just showing me the meme about <laughs> how it feels to listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <clears throat> um, I just wanted to share this link with you since it involves ARV. Also, maybe you guys could try and boost the funds for the show by using ARV to predict the market. While I'm half kidding there... I think it would be fun to do a mass experiment with the Grimerica family on the subject. So I'll put a link to their Cat in the Box uh, podcast as well in the show notes. And this is a link to scifen.colorado.edu. And the scifen is P-S-I-P-H-E-N.colorado. I heard you briefly mention Dulce on a recent intro. Let me know if you're interested in me bringing some stories. I can't find my research links. I think they might've gotten lost when I changed phones a couple of years ago, but I should be able to track them down a bit. Sorry for the long message. Keep up the amazing work. Chip. Chip, chip, chip. Thanks, Chip. Chip's been, Chip's been uh, chipping in chip. for, for a couple of years and he's also a supporter. He's got a couple, uh, yeah. I think Chip supports us on a couple platforms. Yeah, thanks buddy. Yeah. Awesome. I think Chip supports us on two or three different platforms. He's wow. one of those all-enders, rounds out. He supports on all three. Well, you know, we'd be happy if you just supported on one. But uh, Chip goes above and beyond. I do what got another that? email that might be pretty funny, actually. It's kind of in response to me. And you, you li- I know you like this, me getting other people's emails wrong. So it's kind of a corrective email. Okay. You know what's funny is I was thinking, because I got a couple emails I wanted to get on the show. I don't know how many emails you get, but I, the amount of email I get, just like logistical emails, is just overwhelming now. I'm overwhelmed. Oh, you know what it is? It's those stupid 
Yeah. I get too much email. I don't know how you handle it. Let's talk about it later off the air because um, I don't understand. Actually, I just forwarded it all to you. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that works. Yeah. All the listener stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So chuckling, grimacing. <coughs> Greetings to you both. I'm flattered beyond words while working. Along with the luxury of podcast listening, I was enjoying the banter of shows opening 335. A listener letter was read by Graham, which floored me on the account. That it was the only fan mail I've ever sent to any institution, ever. Realizing Graham was reading my email, it was an email I sent to you both one cold coffee shop morning last December. <laughs> Realizing it was my email, my spam, I also realized some misunderstanding. I ask you let me make clarification. Please let me clarify two things. One, I did not ask for 50% of the suggested money, money bombs proceeds. Oh, is this the guy that wanted to bring back the money bomb? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the model you put out there where I, along with all, all others supporting the money bomb, stand to receive half the bomb's proceeds via raffle is the model Greg Carlwood used once upon a time for his kick-ass cast, The Higher Side Chats. Is that model even illegal? Probably not. I thought we figured out it was okay. Aside well, we figured out it was best. We figured out it was bad. We probably wouldn't get caught. That's what we. I mean, in here, we call it a 50-50 draw in Canada. It's yeah. a 50-50. Yeah. And that's why it's 50-50, because, you, you know, went to the hockey game the other night, and the 50-50 draw was like $80,000 at a hockey game. Oh, yeah. It's playoff that's crazy. Run. Oh, yeah. The playoffs coming up. And the playoffs... That thing goes up to over a hundred grand really? every game. Wow. You walk out of there with 50 grand. I think they have, I think half it's the people it's don't claim the thing and then they just, just pocket all the money. They get past it because it's a charity somehow, but that ain't happening for us. So, so aside from probably violating a selectively enforced international SL gaming lot, it is a great idea. It wasn't, however, my proposal. However, as far as that model does go, I'm not sure how Darren's math calculated this sort of model would lose money on your end. <laughs> well, I just picture it as giving away half of our <laughs> monthly income right now, and then just everything falls apart. There's no more apartment, there, or there's no more office, Studio. there's no more hosting, there's no more anything. It just slowly dissolves into chaos where we're podcasting on our phones for a while and then we deter to doing our own periscopes once in a while and then it's just nothing. I think the whole gist of it is you're supposed to increase your donation amount by people having expecting to win half of it back. I think uh, what he's getting at is that we'd run the money bomb along with our regular support now. So you do a monthly money bomb as a side gig. You can buy into the money bomb. Oh, yeah. That's how I'm yeah, picking maybe. it up anyway. I could yeah. be wrong. I should put this up. Oh, I should mention that we're going to be on. Oh, no, that, this thing's going to be. When's this shit coming out now? I don't even know. You got me all confused. Weird episode release times. Is this going to come out before Monday? I'm going to be on. It should be before Monday. Conspiracy yeah. Farm Monday. In a in a in a Dell Big Tree debate, hopefully, if that happens, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, it's happening. I've been I'm on the email thread. Good, good. All right, so I'm not sure how Darren's math calculated this sort of model would lose money, but the, I'll repeat that. Anyways, just saying, there are other models out there where you keep all the money. 
like a live 24-hour broadcast where you have lots of previous guests, Skype in and encourage one-time, $1 listener support contributions and give updates on themselves, for example. You know, we could actually, pro- you, you, could, you could probably get something like that going nowadays, these days, if we did something like that on the YouTube and utilize the Super Chats. Yeah. Be like yeah. an all-day Grammarathon. Grammarathon. We line oh up boy. a bunch of guests, call in all day, let people call in. We're just here for like 12 hours straight. Or I we, just can't, we just I keep can't going. do the silence. As, as, long as, the super, do. as long as the super chats come in, we just keep going. And if those fall off, we're just like, eh, we take a nap. I can't do I can't you do could, You could watch some Netflix on your laptop for a bit. We stop taking calls. I can't do it. We got to do a call-in show again somehow, some way. Anyway, people yeah. have been asking. So. Yeah. I mean, we do have this phone line that you can leave us a message on. We got a text today or the other day or something. Yeah, what's that number? That number is one four zero three seven zero two six zero eight three. Hey, guys, I love the show. Keep up the good work. Also, can I get the Black Budget content link? I'm a Patreon. <laughs> My email address is just in case you want to make sure that I'm really a Patreon. Good vibes. Oh, yeah, so... We were going to talk about the black I got a couple, a hundred, I think we got a hundred comments on my, uh, what's your favorite podcast other than the Grimerica show on the Facebook page. That's good. Yeah. Let me, let me finish this off and then we'll get into black budget. Cause what black budget? Our, oh, okay. our feed. Like, okay. You know, there's some good content in there. Right? People are commenting on your Ted talks. Well, I forgot about those. December is a slow month in my industry. Yeah. That's why I had time to sit around and write out reasons why I couldn't join the 1%. <laughs> After hearing my letter at work, I signed up and became a part of the 1% club. America is a great country. One day money is impossible to come by. The next month you find yourself making a comfortable living. Life is good. Work has returned. I've become a proud show supporter and I hope I meet, make the meetup in Colorado with the Great America lodge attendees this spring i fear it will sell out before i scare up the 500 bucks as my car is holding my next paycheck for ransom but if i work really hard i may be able to afford the last minute the last five thousand dollars scalping price you after you do sell out yeah there's a couple uh expensive spots left the private uh the five star experience is still available in the private bedrooms, there's a few of those. But those are kind of spent a thousand bucks. There's over a thousand bucks. The second thing I want to clarify, I'm not a. Th- I mean, that's nothing for the value you're getting. Oh yeah, yeah the, no, I mean, just, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's still an option right now if he's interested. They'll they'll get you in. The second for less thing- than five thousand dollars, like twenty five percent of that. He was talking about scalp, a scalping price. I better not find anyone scalping CAC tickets. You don't scalp CAC. You don't get offended by that term, do you? What? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm a little <laughs> offended. <laughs> the second thing I want to clarify, I'm not a level 32 dungeon master. Dungeon masters cannot re- reach any level, let alone 32. That, Graham, is known as a nerd test. Either you were too polite to call me out on my claim of reaching level 32, or, disappointingly, you failed the nerd test, which may be a good thing. Cheers and party on, Ryan. Which was it? 
Oh, I failed. Well, no, I, I just thought it was more of like a... You thought it was out of your nerd? No, I thought it was like a Freemason. Like he was a dungeon master and a level 32 Freemason. Huh. That's so... What is that? <laughs> what what test do I pass on that one? I don't know. Hey, when we were kids, like, we used to make it all the way up to like level 36 in D&D with our characters. Did you? Yeah. I'm level 50. They don't have that anymore. I'm level 50. Now you can't get the past level 20. I can. I did. Yeah. Level 42. <laughs> Is it? You done? That was the end? Yep. We need a deep state jingle. Yeah, we should. This is showed up. We might send you to Anarna, Anna, what, An Anarchapoco. Maybe we'll send you to that next year. Is that in Antarctica? It's in uh, Acapulco, Mexico. This is a shout out to, uh, or this is dedicated to Cat in the Box, Justin and Adam as well. While working for the CIA program in our lab in Menlo Park, California, our psychic viewers were able to find a downed Russian bomber in Africa. To describe the health of American hostages in Iran and to locate a kidnapped American general in Italy. We also described Soviet weapon factories in Siberia and a Chinese atomic bomb test three days before it occurred and performed countless other amazing tasks, all using the ability that our colleague, Ingle Swan, dubbed remote viewing. Who's that? Uh, what's the other guy? That, what was the other guy's name? The guy he's interviewing before... George Clooney and the men who stare at goats. That guy. Sam Bronovich. No. Russell Targ. Fuck, I knew it. I made that name up. That was Russell Targ, laser physicist, co-founder of the Stanford Research Institute. $20 million program to explore psychic abilities in the 70s and 80s. Holds two NASA awards for inventions in lasers. Two NASA awards for inventions in freaking lasers. What's a NASA award? This one? NASA. Okay, this is from, uh, so that was from an end to upside down thinking. And this is from the Octopus of Global Control from Charlie Robinson. One prominent. Friend so, of the show, Charlie so, Robinson. So who, who's, who said this? One prominent locus of world control is influence spreading through the media, the scientific establishment, corporations, governments, and the military is the Tavistock Institute. Tavistock, a collaborative effort of British military intelligence and psychiatric establishment, was created in 1921 reportedly on the orders of members of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, known as the Chatham House. The RIA is an arm of the British Rhodes Roundtable Group founded by British imperialist and Freemason Cecil Rhodes. The Roundtable, functioning through a myriad of offshoots, has been the century's most effective proponent for the creation of a one-world government. Tavistock relies on grants for its operations from the Rockefellers, Carnegie's, the British Home Office, and large anonymous grants. You want me to guess who that is? I'm not guessing who that That's is. That's Jim, Jim Keith, Mass Control, Engineering, Human Consciousness. How would I get that? I never get that. I don't know, you might I might. One day. <laughs> when my training's complete. 
What do you got? Support the show? Yeah, that's it. I said we we should, I guess, mention that there is like uh, some private bedrooms left for the... Uh, contact at the cabin? Contact at the cabin. The, the higher end spots, are, I think they're 1250 bucks a spot. That is a private room. Um, there's some pictures of it all online. Those are the only spots left. And there's, I think, three of them in the first trimester and three of them in the second. And that's it. So if you want to go, unfortunately, that's all that left. Or you can head over to the raffle. Uh, email adam at com, and you'll get in on the raffle. 20 bucks a ticket. The raffle is for a private bedroom. Um, so, yeah. Email adam at com, 20 bucks a ticket. Buy as many as you want. You get a private bedroom. And then we're giving away a uh, spot to a supporter as well. And don't forget to mention the raffle stops at 30 tickets. So it's not like we're just ramping it up. Yeah. It's like as soon as it's at the value of the thing, it's get, it gets pulled. Well, the drawn, value of the drawn. thing's up now because we switched it from a bunk to oh, a private room. Oh, good move. Yeah. So get a ticket. Hurry up. Email adamacromerica.com. Or if you're a supporter and you want to get in for the draw for the camp spot in the second trimester, the 20th to the 23rd, uh, we're giving away a free camp spot to anyone who supports the show. Email adamacromerica.com. Let them know your email address. And uh, if you're a supporter, we're going to give away one of those on uh, April 20th as well. We'll do the draw. Give away some spots. And uh, seal this thing up. We'll have this thing, uh, that draw probably... I would say that everything is gone, and that draw on April 20th is the last two spots to CAC. We're maxed. By the way, I changed my plan, so I'm going to be there the whole time. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll both be there the whole time now, yeah. so it'll be yeah. fantastic. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what else? Support the show? Did we do that yet? Did we do support the show? Yeah, kind of. We've got a black budget fee going on as well, and there's lots of good content in there. Darren, Darren finished reading. Uh, oh, we got all four of the, you know, the entire uh, Unabomber Manifesto. What's it? It's, uh, We're going to do a little round table with a couple listeners. They got to email in. I think we've got two people already that are interested. So there's a couple spots more. open for a little round table going over the TED. Is that what you wanted to do? You mentioned it. The yeah, lot. that's right. That's uh, So I did the reading. It was four episodes. It took me about four hours. And I read Industrial Society and Its Future. And uh, did a round of that over the four episodes. We've got, uh, I think, four five hours or six hours of Randall Carlson content that was just put in from the from the uh, chat from the vestibule chats we're doing on Monday night those have been put into the black budget uh, that's black, about a lot of it that's about our trip to Colorado yeah that's right well, that reminds me I did have that someone had I thought someone emailed me and wanted me to read something it was in response to the the reason I bring it up is because it was in response to the where is it? Keep talking for a sec. Yeah, those uh, those vestibule meetings have been great. We've also got one of the the top trainers of uh, Wim Hof in there as well, talking about uh, the breathing techniques and cold water stuff. Can't wait to to meet him. His name's Brandon. Oh yeah, here we go. So someone sent this in. Thank you for getting my podcast listening straightened out. Happily listening to some TED Talk. By the way, I know you are too young to be familiar with the uh, Desiderata, which was written in the 1920s and weirdly popular in the 1970s. It is timeless in quiet. It is timeless in a quiet sort of way. Your voice and depth of thought would make you the perfect person to read this out. 
for your predominantly young audience. Should I read it? It's not like, that long. Like, oh, okay, sure. I thought it was a whole book or something. D-E-S-I-D-E-R-A-T-A. What do you think? How do you think you say that? Desiderata? That's it. Oh, I can't do that. Shit. What? What? Uh-oh. Worlds are colliding. Okay, let me do that. Then I think if I do this and do that, I might be able to get this thing to... Desiderata. I can't do it with it. Just... I just wanted to hear it pronounced it. Desiderata. How, how the computer okay. pronounces okay. it? Okay. Okay, enough. Enough out of you. I'm going to go for it. This is a weird font, too. Oh. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others. Even to the dull and the ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, or for always there will be a greater and lesser person than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. <clears throat> Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for the face of all eridity. Eridity? 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 A-R-I-D-I-T-Y. Eridity? For in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt, the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, or her. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Awesome. That's yeah. pretty good. That's not bad, eh? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so what you got? Try to oh, wrap yeah, it up. Let's support it, the show. If you want that black budget stuff, or you want to get in on the giveaway, you don't have to. Any, any, it's any donation, right? Just support like, the show. It's, no, no, but it, just make it clear. It's not like a fixed monthly thing or anything. Any one-time donation, any donation. Now I said subscriber. What do you mean? Is it changed and I didn't lose a part of this? No, for the black budget. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking for about for the giveaway for CAC. Oh, okay. Well, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, you just went into the black budget thing. Okay, yeah. So just support the show. GrandMarker.csi yeah. support. We'll give you the black budget link. Yeah, anything. 
do all the stuff in the newsletter, sign up for the newsletter, do all the stuff in the show notes, review the show. You got to tell people about the show because we're blacklisted in iTunes. We're shadow banned in iTunes because we do too many vaccine shows. I think mainly because of the Dell Big Tree show. Anyway, it's all important. You got to support the show. GrowAmerica.ca slash support because what else you got? That's it. Enjoy this fantastic chat with fellow visionary, Bernie Taylor. Right, tonight we've got Bernie Taylor with us. He's an independent naturalist. He's been exploring the mythological connections and the biological knowledge among prehistoric, indigenous, and ancient peoples. His first uh, book was Biological Time in 2004, and his latest was in 2017, Before Orion, facing the f- Finding the Face of the Hero. And that talks about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the monomyth, and uh, talking about how that's the, the core of stories among indigenous people as well. So it goes back apparently much deeper than we thought. So, um, yeah, that's a short little bio for you, Bernie. We'll let you talk, tell yourself, uh, talk about yourself a little bit more, but thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Um, this is a fun one and I've been wanting to be on you guys for a long time. Oh, good. I give a lot of presentations. I give a lot of podcast interviews and everybody asks the same questions. So I've given to astronomers and astrologers, by the way, astrologers shouldn't be asking any questions. But anthropologists, archaeologists, art historians, and I've gone to high school, high school and a church and um, planetary sciences at major university just a few weeks ago. And everybody seems to be like, everyone wants to know where we came from. Because if we can see where we came from, perhaps we can have a better understanding where we're going. And there's lots of stories out there. You can look at ancient aliens on the History Channel. It's not a plug. Um, and you can get one version of history. You can go to the college, the university libraries, and you can have another version of history. And those versions of history are based on what we thought we knew prior to two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago, everything changed. Because we, we went deeper into the history of mankind. We found images in the, the Cave of El Castillo and another one that shows um, characters that are deep into human, our mythology, characters that we find all around the world. And we find a source of astronomy to 34,000 years ago um, that is identical to that of the, the ancient Greek astronomy via Ptolemy. So two, so two years ago, everything changed. And we have to reformulate re, re, re what our history was before 5,000 to 34,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So those caves were, did they confirm some of the stuff from other caves or how, why, why, why did those caves change, uh, the discoveries change so much compared to other ones? 
Well, there's actually there's, there's similar images in other caves, but I did two primary caves for before Ryan. Yeah. One is the Gorham Cave with the Gorham etching. The other one is the Gallery of Discs and the El Castillo Cave. Now, the Gallery of Discs image, millions of people had seen it. It, it became famous about seven years ago when one of the discs was dated to 34,000 years ago and a disc and a red disc and another part of the cave was dated to 40,000 years ago, which made the oldest cave art in the world. So it was the dating seven, seven years ago that sort of changed history that we can now, we could, we could actually more accurately determine when these images were made. But everybody was looking at those red discs that stream across this 10 meter pa panel. But two years, roughly two years ago, I started coming out with the images, which I had seen two years prior. And in those images, we find horses, we find this teacher speaking in the ear of an apprentice, we find lions, we have um, a man holding a club, we find giraffe, which is distinctly an African animal, uh, mongoose, um, dolphins, um, we find a great auk, and a huge crocodile. And all these characters hadn't been seen prior to the release of my work. At least they hadn't been seen in modern times. So I can go back in history and find all kinds of people that have seen them. And there's a reason why we didn't see them. Um, and it's the same reason I didn't see them at first, is that these red discs stream across the panel and we're drawn into them. Psychologically, um, we're brainstem dominated. And when the red pops up, we go into an excited mode, sort of a, you know, a flight type of, a fright or flight type of um, behavior. And when, when, when you're driving down the road, you see a red stop sign, you notice it. It contrasts with the blue-green environment, so the other end of the natural spectrum. And it draws something deep within us. Um, the red discs, you know, we find red in the, the signage from McDonald's and DQ and, and Burger King. We find red lipstick, the red dress, and the red car. These all trigger us at the most basic level, um, more basic than our cerebral hemispheres that give us cognitive thinking. And so millions of people had seen this gallery of discs. And they had seen the, the, the red disc streaming across it, and they were drawn into them in the same way that you're drawn to a red stop sign. And in modern times, no one recorded having seen any of these characters. So, uh, yeah, you've got the, is there, there's a sphinx in there too then? So in, the, in these, in this among these characters, we have a, a lion and a lioness, and superimposed over the lion is a crouching carnivore, okay? And the crouching carnivore has the head of the sphinx, the, the Giza sphinx. It has the Nemi's headdress. It's missing the nose as the teardrop on its forehead and has that strong chin. The distinctive feature, though, is that Nemi's. And that Nemi's is actually an overlap of another character. It's a, the head of an elephant on the panel. So the Paleolithic artist didn't intend to create that, the Nemi's headdress. But when the ancient Egyptians or whoever from, from that society, that culture, had been to the cave and seen this, they walked away with it with the Nemi's headdress. So some of this stuff is actually the shape of it. It's not just paintings or anything like that. It's the shape of the rocks, it seems? Or, or how did well, they do the, all this? How do they do? So there's, mul there's multiple levels. and So the red disc created some of the forms. They also have black discs. And they have black shading. And then they etched with bone. They etched out the figures in the panel. And they also—I don't want to say the word chiseled—but they they carved off um, features as well. Why don't so you want to? You're, you're looking at a sculpt. So it's like a sculpture, um, but it's a sculpture that has paint over it. 
and multiple layers of other features. Oh, I've seen, yeah, because I've seen it before in the red dots on, but I didn't see that lion shape until now. Now I see the lion shape in there. Yeah. Why would so you like to use the word the chiseled? So, yeah, I, the, so chiseled is not the right word, because when we say chiseled, we're thinking if someone has a metal instrument. Um, and in the cave, we've they found many instruments. None of them are metal, okay? Um, so there's um, it's bone awls, there's shells. This is a limestone panel, which is about as hard as your fingernail. So it's very easy to, you know, to manipulate. And even the sh once it's once you've created a shape, just kind of sand it down as well to make it look natural. So they also use the, the, the original material on the panel. So there's, there's organic and mineral matter that they integrated into the image. So multiple layers, complex. I can see how they did this, but I personally couldn't have done this. Yeah. It's genius. It's beyond genius. It's, this is extraordinary genius that we, we don't have in our modern times. Picasso went to the Altamira cave about 1900. He was brought in, which is nearby to South Castillo, and he was brought in to ask the question of whether it was a forgery. Because it was, in 1900, it was believed that Paleolithic man, caveman, didn't have the, the mind ability, intellectual ability, to create that incredible art. Picasso went in and he said, none of us could have done anything like this. So the master of modern art himself said he couldn't do it, or his colleagues, his peers. This El Castillo image that we're looking at, the Gallery of Dis, is many times more complex than what Picasso saw at Altamira. So, go ahead, Darren. And is that where we're talking about, like, uh, just with the way they used the shape of the rock to add context, and they were using actual materials from those animals in the painting materials? Am I getting that correctly? Well, I don't believe there's any, well, materials, I don't believe there's any materials from natural animals on the, there's, there actually, there aren't on the panel itself, but they use the bones from animals to, to carve it out. Okay. But you would, so there, there's, that, that's actually a pretty good question because some of these animals are so lifelike. It's amazing. Um, and a few years ago, someone looked at the, these images and said, oh my God, did, were they fossil, were the animals fossilized in the walls? Because they have all the taxonomic details that so fine that it's absolutely amazing. And what it demonstrates is that the, the Paleolithic artists must have seen them in the wild. They must have seen the giraffe in, in Africa because when people, if, if someone was to tell you what a giraffe looks like and you were going to draw it and you hadn't seen a giraffe, you wouldn't come up with anything like a giraffe, um, what it really does. So th these artists had actually been to the source, um, and they, they, um, they recreated it on this cave wall and others. Well, not this only that, I mean, scale one. who draws shit that you just heard about? Your buddy's like, hey, man, uh, yeah, I've seen a... I seen a bird flying. You're like, oh, I ain't gonna draw a bird. You know, it just that doesn't really make sense to just draw stuff you were hearing about. So, do you think they were? We were talking about some sort of uh, transcontinental travel. Absolutely, Darren, you're right on it. And so, what we have there's a, this this panel is ten meters across, about roughly thirty three feet in Canadian terms, and um, we on one end is. The north and the other end is the south geographically and on the north end we have european animals in the south we have the african animals such as the giraffe and the mongoose and the, the main lions and the north end we have the horse um, and we have um, 
Um, we have the, the Iberian lynx, which is indigenous to, to what is now Spain. So what we do have is this character that goes from the north to the south and back again. And in the middle, we have marine animals. We have a dolphin, we have a crab, we have the, the auk is a, is a marine bird. And there's also there's a whale um, and some and some dolphins, some others in there. And so you have this person that does take this, this, this travel across from Europe, across the Strait of Gibraltar into West North Africa and then back again. And you've, you've probably had people on your show that they might have questioned, you know, where does man really come from? I mean, because the, Darwin said that the DNA, that man should have come from Africa because that's where we find the most primate animals. Um, and there's religious people who say, well, man could have come from you know, the Middle East. And the DNA really doesn't tell us. And what this is telling us is that it wasn't so, so simple that people were in one place, they migrated out from there. It's showing us that people had migrated back and forth. And this is actually, this giraffe is the first evidence that people had migrated back and forth between Europe and Africa, and that they didn't take the long way around the Mediterranean, that they take the quick route across the Strait of Gibraltar. Yeah, which is, because these caves are where in Spain, this one? They're in the northern part of Spain near Bilbao. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I think, I mean, that lines up with, I think, you know, a multitude of guests that are saying it's, you know, Bruce Fenton saying it's more like into Africa instead of out Africa and, and a myriad of people that have said that, you know, it's more likely that people were either re-emerging from Africa after a cataclysm or something like that. I think the latest stuff is saying it's Australian Aboriginals, right? Or technically the oldest people we found. Well, Bruce is interested in his ideas. I've read his book, and he's a smart guy. At the same time, they, they, within months of coming out with the paper for the 40,000-year dating at the El Castillo cave, almost 40,000 years ago, they came out with cave art in Indonesia, Okay, which completely changed everything. Because it said that modern man, or less thinking man, could have come from Indonesia, or could have come from Europe, or could have come from another place, and had migrated to both of these locations. So it's a, if it's uncanny that within a few hundred years, you find that the two oldest places for cave art in the world, in Indonesia and Spain, Iberian Peninsula. And I believe that they actually came out of West North Africa, and they migrated over you know vast distances, including to Indonesia. And in modern anthropology, they believe that you know, hunter-gatherers, and they traveled a few miles every year. But the Tuareg in the Sahara today, when nomadic people travel over a thousand miles a year on foot and through the desert, look to, from one waterhole to another. And so people could have traveled easily hundreds of years in a generation and certainly thousands over a few generations. And that would give us, allow us to have people with similar or common dated cave art in Indonesia and Spain at the same time, which speaks to Bruce Fenton's work. The question is, where did we really come from? Well, I don't have the answer to that question. I have some more questions, though. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you have a good reason, I guess it makes everything, you know, migration becomes easy if there's no food or no water or, you know, it's suddenly freezing cold or too hot or, or anything like that. Do, do you think... Uh, because the caves are what they're forty thousand years ago. That's a long. That's a long time. Like that's you're in the thick of the ice age right then. Well, I was just looking at that. I think Randall was saying the last time we had him on that the peak, that pre the peak, ice age. That's like pre thick of it. So I think the 
What didn't he say that didn't he say 18 to 20,000 years ago was the like the the coldest part of the ice age or the so 34,000 that's another 14,000 before that. So it might have been like at the beginning of the the last It was the, it was pre-ice age. Yeah. yeah. At 34,000 years ago in Africa, you would have been looking at uh savanna with, you know, giraffes and elephants and, and animals like that. Which is so 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 the ice so the peak of it was 26,000 years ago. And we saw that really starting to seriously subside about 15,000 and maybe 12 or 13, it kind yeah. of di- disappeared. Yeah. Mm. Well, but here's something interesting that ties into that, that what Randall, the direction that Randall Carlson could be going is that, so 12,000 years ago, everybody's looking at that date, right? You've had Hancock and Beauval and, you know, Randall Carlson. They're saying that some major cataclysm happened 12,000 years ago. And that's disruption in, in worldwide, um, you know, movements of people. Well, something happened 12,000 years ago. Cave art ended in Europe. Completely ended. Mm-hmm. That we can actually date it. But something else happens at the exact same time. Rock art emerges in West North Africa. It emerges in a huge way. The Greater Sahara is the largest art gallery in the world. And 12,000 years ago, they started creating life-size giraffes and hippos and alligators and elephants. And if you walked across, for days across the sands of the Sahara today, you might stumble across an alligator and say, hey, actually, the rock, an image of an alligator, and say, what the heck is that alligator doing here? Because in, a, in that time, 12,000 years ago, there was huge wetlands. The, 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 there were lakes that were larger than the Great Lakes that separate the U.S. and Canada. And so it was a different time. So the question then becomes, was it a great cataclysm that separated the people, or did people migrate back from from Europe back to Africa, where there was more, there was abundance of game, or both, or both? Yeah. And the question is: so if there's this huge cataclysm in in Europe, and people, you know, everybody died, or whatever the story is, well, why does it Europe at where people were is only a hundred to two hundred miles from West North Africa where it was flourishing. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what makes me wonder is if it like you get something that makes it a little darker or something like that, so it gets a little too cold in Europe. I mean, that's if, if shit if it, if spring don't come in Canada by like July, I'm yeah. heading fucking south. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Texas we're talking one, hundreds yeah. of miles, yeah. hundreds of miles between yeah. the two, but or actually less than hundreds of miles. You know, between where people were and where they went to. Does the Mediterranean right? exist then? Do you think? Does it, does the Mediterranean, is, is it, where, what, what, what's the extent of the, of the is, is, it, is it the Mediterranean that separates those two? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what it was like before that. Cause it must've been a hell of a lot smaller, right? At that time. Cause what is there something like 250 cities or something they found underneath the Mediterranean? Um, so at that time, so if we're talking, it would the Mediterranean would have been much smaller because there was less water it was trapped in the ice. Or maybe it was bigger if it's pre-ice age. Jeez, the pre-ice age myself. would have been much larger. Yes, and that's when you had those huge lakes and probably bigger oceans and probably so pre-ice age. Pre-ice age, the glaciers are smaller than they are now. Pre-ice age, during the ice age, the glaciers were the largest, and pre and post they were smaller. They're smaller than they are now. Wow, so you, you're talking about, I mean, the world probably looked a whole lot different, Yeah, obviously, but Everything your coastlines would be further inland than they are right now. The ocean's deeper, right. yeah. huh? And that's really a question for Randall, when you have when you get him on the show and you guys meet up, is to ask him, well, the, 
could those people have gone from Europe into the Sahara, the greater Sahara? Because that's where the record shows. With huge you know, images of these absolutely huge drafts. And on this gallery of discs, there's a draft that is also life-size, as well as the elephant. Now, that lion you see there is probably about, about nine meters, so it's a little bigger than a, a lion that we have today and lions that there were at that time. But in fact, so there, there, was a, there was a changeover in history. And so what, I, what I'm doing is I'm going back beyond the 12,000 years ago and deep into 34,000 years ago when we find the first emergence of um, these cave images. And what do, they, what do they mean? Well, we talk about, we have this panel, we have the man, we have a man on the north, we have a man on the south, and the man on the north is the constellation Hercules, the man on the south is Orion. And those animals I mentioned before, between them, after Hercules, we have a Gia the eagle, we have Pegasus, we have is the, Pegasus is the horse, the, uh, the dolphin is Pisces, Cetus is a sea lion, uh, is the sea monster among the Greeks, it's a seal on the panel. We have um, Orion above Orion. We have the um, we have the Barbary ape, which is Gemini. We have the Ursa mate. We have Ursa major with the bear and her cubs. We have the lions, which is Leo. We have the great auk, which is um, Cygnus, and then we have Draco as the crocodile. Well, that's the exact same constellations in the same order as the Greeks had them. Hmm. You can't make that up. Okay, so you either have to say that there's nothing there, or it's all there, and the Greeks and others had been there. And so we're going to go back. We're going to talk about could the Egyptians have been there? Because the because that we're going to talk kind of the Sphinx story today. And maybe we should we could step back into you know Sphinxology and kind of where we are in the moment or before I start telling my story. Does that work out? Yep. Okay, great. So different. There's different Sphinx people out there. Okay. Conventional Egyptologists, what they say is that there was a nat- there was a geologically formed mound that within an enclosure, a naturally formed enclosure, and the ancient Egyptians went in and they carved out the, the head and they mo- modified the body a few times, okay? Which is kind of, which makes sense, okay? Um, Robert Schock comes in through, through the invitation of John Anthony West, and Schock looks at the outer wall, the so-called enclosure wall, and he says that there's the, hard, the vertical weathering lines are so deep it couldn't have hap- happened during Egyptian times because there wasn't enough water to do it. Okay, yeah. and that's just, and shock starts off with you know six thousand years when the last time when these big we're talking about these big lakes in the, the Great Sahara, and he finally pushes it back to about twelve thousand. He, he's on Team Atlantis. Okay, it's what it is. You can get him on the show to talk about Atlantis and the Great Sphinx. So a, another group of geologists come in. You probably saw the paper a few years ago that said the Sphinx is eight hundred thousand years old. Okay, and they were. But they actually didn't say that. That's what the news said. What they said was that that area was previously under seawater. And when it was under seawater, waves were going against that inner enclosure um, and that they're creating the horizontal lines, that the horizontal lines weren't created from the, the wind. Okay. So therefore, the based on what they're saying, the last time you had that sort of water action, um, submersion of, the, of that region was 800,000 years ago. So... The ancient Egyptians had that fundamental foundation of that those um, those water lines eight hundred thousand years ago, and they improved on the Sphinx and, and this complex after that. So somewhere dynastic times or something like that. And the so the it's this. So if you ask your geologist, you're going to come up with a different story. And what each geologist does is they they look at what they look at the evidence, and then they try to tie it to something else in their world. 
And so in the case of these geologists, they're Ukrainians, they said 800,000 years ago tied into um, to seawater. Um, Shock was tying it into Robert Vival's theory of the Orion constellation. That's what his, his frame of reference was, okay? They're buddies. They wrote a book together on the subject. And so, you know, ask your geologist, you're going to come up with a different story. Well, and the right. flooding of the Nile played into that as well, didn't it? I mean, isn't that when he was saying that, that like, it wasn't just the, the, uh, the weather patterns from back then matched Shock's theory, I guess, as well, right? Well, the, so you could, so what Shock start off to say that the, the, the vertical weather patterns were at least 6,000 years ago much or older. And then he kept pushing it back, and now he says that's contemporary. That twelve thousand years ago, contemporaneous to Gobekli Tepe, which also is the same as Plato's Atlantis story and Robert Vall's constellation theory. Okay, that's so yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. he yeah. he put it together. And you can, you know, it's um, everybody's trying to find another reference point. Well, we can act, we actually have a completely different reference point now. We have a reference point this Palatine Cave thirty four thousand years ago. We have the we have the image that the Giza Sphinx was portrayed after. We have this large carnivore next overlap with the lion, and we have the nemmies, we have the teardrop, we have the, the missing the nose and all that sort of stuff. And so we can we can now look at the origin of the Great Sphinx as being 34,000 years ago. That doesn't mean that the Great Sphinx was made 34,000 years ago. Somebody had been to the Palatine Cave, came back with the image, and overlapped him. There's something interesting, there's something interesting too is that people have always questioned why the head of the Great Sphinx at Giza is much smaller than the body. And the storyline has been that, well, it was originally a, uh, a jackal or lion or something, and when they recarved it down to make the, the current um, humanish face, it became smaller. Well, the, the, this gallery of this Sphinx head that overlaps onto the lion is approximately relationally the same, bigger and smaller, um, as it is to the Giza Sphinx. That's a really important point. And so what we're really talking about is a theriantrope, the mix between the human and the man. And it's not a, it's not a beast. It's the, on, on this journey of this hero who travels from north to south and, and um, back again, he encounters these animals, and he draws strength from them. And he, he, creates, he becomes sort of mythical characters in the way. This man, he overlaps with a, the dolphin to become a mermaid. He overlaps with the, the horse to become a centaur. And the, the horse overlaps with... The eagle to become the flying horse Pegasus. What's the difference between therianthrope and lycanthropy then? So my understanding is that lycanthropy is like a werewolf, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so or, no, or where, so, where, whatever. I mean, where, where, you know, whatever. Okay, yeah. okay, good, good. That's actually that's really good because the therianthrope changes in the mind of the individual. He draws strength from it. So same as kind of, so Batman doesn't become a bat. So are those and Robin a, doesn't. Bird. Yeah, are all those Egyptian gods therianthropes then? So the so the, the, the actually I'm gonna get get there in a second. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's yeah. another good yeah, question. Yeah. That's a good okay. Okay, so so if we, so Batman, Robin, and um, Spider Man, none of them actually become like the equivalent of a werewolf, right? Okay, um, they physically don't, but they draw the strength of the animals in, in their for their um, their plight or whatever. Yeah. Their, their, yeah. Uh, their their own hero's action. So in, so the question that becomes among the the Aeneid, all the characters in ancient Egypt, where you have the um, Horus is the man, the man who is a man with a, um, Hawk, a falcon's yeah, head. Falcon, yeah. Okay. Well, we actually have Horus in this in this panel. Panel. We have a man 
who's wearing the mask. He's wearing the mask of a golden eagle. And we and on one side of his face, the 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 the, the beak of the the beak of the bird comes off, and the other side we can see his eye. And below the mask, we can see his chin and the teeth. And so what Horace, when the ancient Egyptians had seen these images of this, this avianoid, this man who transforms himself into an eagle to gain the, or have the strength of an eagle, they came back with it and said that it was a bird man. And you can go all around the world and you can find these bird men. I mean, they're in every culture, you find the people that transcend through the bird to the spirit world. And of course, in Abrahamic religions, it's the angel. It's the same character. And so the source of it, at least a distant source, is 34,000 years ago. I believe it's much more distant in time, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years ago. So that just should raise some eyebrows. Okay. <laughs> not, in, not around here. Not in no, here. Yeah. Not around here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so anyway, I believe that when the Egyptians had seen this, they walked away with it and said, these were real characters that these were not the hero on his journey who's gained strength from. In the same way the Greeks had been there, and they saw the man overlaps with the horse, he becomes a centaur, and they would have believed that there were centaurs in there. Huh. In the same way, if we look at fossils of dinosaurs, we, we say, oh my God, we, you know, there's a T-Rex or a brontosaurus, that they looked at the record and they said, this is something that happened in the past in, in a distant time. It was real, in the same way that we look at fossils today. It's completely logical. Hmm. And, you know, can, the ancient, if the ancient Greeks had seen the, um, a T-Rex, you know, all the bones laid out in the sand, they would have said, oh, my God, there's this huge monster now past. But they didn't dig that deep. And, they, they, it was the, the, and, the, and the caves didn't have those, those fossils. What they did have was the centaur and the mermaid and the, this, these avianoid, these, this character transforms. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about the, our modern superheroes being... Therianthropes as well, really, or Therianthropic. Hmm. But yeah, a lot of them do get their, you know, how many of them get their, their strength from an animal? Like there's Ant-Man and Batman and Spider-Man. Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just go down the list of superheroes and they're all tied to, actually many of them are tied to some sort of animal spirit. Do you guys ever do yoga? Yeah. I used to. Downward okay, dog, so that's, okay, that's good. Used is good. Okay, I'm, I do yoga. And I, you know, so when you do yoga, you, you know, you you draw the strength of the animals, right? You you do down dog, and you do lion, and you roar, right? And you, you do you do crocodile, and you do Garuda, which is you become the avianoid, the, the bird. Um, and so we, in 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 the tr yoga tradition, you you harness the spirits of those animals. It's the essence of yoga. So is that how you tied these these ancient paintings to the hero's journey? Then is through this this type of thing. So the I didn't well I didn't start off looking for the hero's journey. I kind of sort of like fell in it. Actually, yeah. kind of fell in these images too. And when I was I was writing the book, um, I was talking to people. I was showing people the images, kind of testing them. And I was telling them what I was finding. As this this character goes from point A to B and back again. Well, then we I recognized who the character was, and I said that we had the constellation Hercules. Where Hercules takes in, in mythology takes the journey across the Strait of Gibraltar into Morocco and he climbs Mount Atlas, what we call now Jebel Tobacco. Okay, this is the story of Hercules going into North Africa to climb Jebel Tobacco, Mount Atlas. And so that that is what that is the one of the one of the many hero's journey stories 
that come from a common root that we can at least see 34,000 years ago. But as I say, I believe it's hundreds of thousands of years ago. Because about, about a year and a half ago, some, another archaeological site was dated, a place called Jebel Urhud in Morocco. And the oldest fossils of Homo sapiens were, were found at 300,000 years ago. So we're talking the same place as this Pelican cave artist had been. And within a week's walk of Mount Atlas, huh. the great cosmic mountain. And did that change the, our genetic uh, history at all as well? Like Homo sapiens, so that would be... So Homo sapiens should be the same as you, mostly. Yeah. Think the same, same brain. Yeah. You know, and that's just the caves we found, you know, and if the, if the Earth's getting smacked around and glaciered and unglaciered and all that Common shit, impact. I mean, how, how many, yeah, how many caves are kicking around from 100,000 years? You know, I've, you know, Graham Hancock tweets something every other day that's just like, this stuff just keeps getting older, you know, it just seems like it's just a matter of time before, before we push it back at least, you know, 50,000 years. I don't know. I, I well, don't, I I'm not thrown off by a couple hundred thousand years in the slightest. Now, so prior to my work, when we looked at the hero's journey, we looked at the story of Gilgamesh, which is a, a hero's journey, a character who was dug up in the, the sands of Iraq, dated to about 4,500 years ago. And that became the oldest documented story that we have. And psychologists and historians and anthropologists and archaeologists, people looked at Gilgamesh and they said, we well, fundamentally has the same issues as we have today. The guy's a turd, okay? And at the end, he, he takes his journey, he encounters all these, these, these creatures, and he, he searches for immortality, he returns home um, having lost the gift of immortality, and he, um, he sees the world in a different way and becomes a better person. Okay? Fundamentally, the same issues we have now in, in, in every superhero story that we find, okay? Well, I've just put that, I just put that back 30,000 years before that in one cave image. We've completely rewritten history, Compl a different way of seeing the world. And so now we have to ask ourselves that, just as Picasso said, none of us could have done anything like this with respect to the Altamira cave, that there were geniuses that Picasso recognized as genius, he actually borrowed from them. Now we see images that are much more complex. So is this per is, are the individuals who made these images, such as we see in this gallery of deaths, are they a greater genius? anybody exists now in modern time yeah maybe they just have more time on their hands you know like but even picasso has he's got to go to the cafe and get some cappuccino and he's you know is picasso the one to cut, cut off his ear chasing tail no that was van gogh right but i'm sure you know picasso, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> picasso's got shit to do and you know that's just getting worse nowadays we got more shit to do we got a phone to check we got email we got everything else I wonder if it was just, you know, when you had nothing else to do but sit in a cave all day, if you just, you know, I don't know. So you guys, who, if you're going to think of the top three geniuses of all time, who would you come up with? Oof. You yeah, can't just, you well, can't. Well, te Tesla, I mean, Tesla okay. out there, yeah. So we're talking 80 years ago? Yeah, and then uh, Copernicus. Copernicus, six, 700 years ago or something, right? Yeah, uh, four or five, I think, maybe, 600, yeah. Okay, 600 years ago. I should know more about my history. That's I never that's okay. history for a while. You got Galileo's in there. Well, like it was between him and Galileo I was thinking of. But. What so then we're like talking five, six, 500 years ago or so? What about Socrates? So you guys, to find, okay, to find the top three, you guys have gone back 600 years. Well, that's only, right? We only got so far to go back. 
Okay, so six hundred. So if you six hundred years for the top three, are you saying these extraordinary geniuses that brought forth something that other people hadn't done before? Yeah. So why couldn't there have been extraordinary geniuses thousands or tens of thousands or hundred thousand years before? Eating too much wheat. <laughs> well, there was more geniuses back then, probably. <laughs> probably. Well, certainly has a greater percentage of the population. But it's, so the question then becomes: If we have geniuses today, we have geniuses six hundred years ago. What makes a genius, and could we have had it tens or hundreds of thousands of years ago? What's the limiting factor? Yeah, yeah, I think we probably did. I think we probably had all sorts of. You know, I I subscribe to that. Atlantis was more of a something than a certain some place. It was kind of like you know what we call whatever the fuck we call what we have going on now, civilization, Earth. It wasn't many places. You mean that's like, not it was, was like, every place. It was no, like it was you every know, place. Yeah. some sort of global, far-reaching civilization that um, was doing this. And the only people that were left over to tell us about it were the people that are the equivalent of the you know that you got these tribes all over Brazil and South America, and there's. I don't know if there's any left in Africa. There's probably a bunch in New Guinea that are kind of like, you know, basically untouched by human hands that, you know, if we get hit by a couple of rocks tomorrow, these guys don't give a fuck. They're going to be just fine. And the rest of us are going to starve to death and they're going to be drawing pictures of the shit that was going on before. <laughs> like these guys are flying planes. And I mean, there might be some of that going on too. I mean, Giorgio Suclos is showing us these, these sorts of crazier things on the ancient aliens sort of end of things. But you know, if, if, that kind of all ties into geniuses a hundred thousand years ago and Viminas and, you know, flying ain't that hard. Honestly, it doesn't seem that hard. It doesn't seem that hard. The planes we were flying around a couple hundred years ago, I have no reason to believe that we couldn't have been flying around something a little better than that a couple hundred thousand years ago. So Darren, you dropped Atlantis. Okay. You brought it in the conversation. So we're in the A's right now. Okay. Atlant so there's two sources from Atlantis. Everybody knows the first one. Plato, right? That's right. Who remembers the other source of who remembers the other source of Atlantis? I don't. No, no one talks about it. Herodotus talks about the uh, Atlantis. I was gonna people. fucking say Herodotus yeah. too, yeah. He talked I about the Atlantis though. people. But Herodotus didn't talk about the Atlantis people. So Herodotus lived before Plato. And just a you know, 50, 60 years before. Herodotus didn't say it was a people from ten thousand years before him. He said that there are people who currently who lived in his time. You want to take a guess where he thought they lived? Actually, actually, not what he thought they were. He did say they lived within the context of other people that lived in the same region. Because he he talks about he's he's a he's a, he's a um, cultural geographer. You guys want to take a guess where the Atlantes were? Spain. Another guess. Greenland. At, at Mount Atlas, the people at Mount Atlas. What we call Jebel Tubalkal now in Morocco, called according to Herodotus in the histories, they called themselves the Atlantes. Huh. I forgot okay? about that. Well, no one talks about that because everybody's working on this 10,000 years ago, tying up with the, the, the Orion constellation theory and the, you know, the whisperings, dreams of Edgar Cayce. Herodotus said it was in his, his time. And these people lived, these people, well, they're still there. In fact, the people around Mount Atlas still call themselves the Atlantes. And when, so when was Herodotus again? The exact date of Herodotus was 50, 60 years before with histories. Herodotus was 485 BCE. Plato was 427 BCE. 
Who's your top so, three geniuses? Uh, extraordinary geniuses, absolutely. But still, so back to the point of, of Atlas. And what um, it, it, the, the natives call Mount Atlas, the pillar of heaven. And they, they themselves take their name from it, being called Atlantes. Wow. Straight out of Herodotus. Section chapter 182-183, the histories. Where, uh, so who, who was it that came up with that map of Antarctica that shows what it looks like underneath the ice? Piri Reis, I think. Was that back in, you're, you're, is you're that, about the, does, that's going back to those dates too? Cause that's gotta be pre ice age. I mean, where did we find that motherfucker? That's maybe that's a sign. So I can't speak to the Piri Reis map. I can't do that. I don't think but it's here's a question. supposed to be a couple thousand years old, I think or something. So Picasso goes to the Altamira cave and he sees the images, which are, are you know, a fraction of the complexity of this gallery of deaths. Picasso walks out and says, no one could have done anything like this or none of his peers. They're not fakes. Picasso would have considered his mind that these people were geniuses and that they, they perhaps had an artistic technology that was beyond his understanding. We can now look at this gallery of deaths and we can see all those Greek constellations, the major constellations. We can see this hero's journey story. If the ancient Greeks had seen this cave, would they have said these people were extraordinary geniuses with some incredible mental technology, or they just said dumb cavemen? Dumb cavemen. Yeah, think about it. So, and, uh, so another question from the peanut gallery, Graham. <laughs> extraordinary geniuses or dumb cavemen? Would the Greeks, if they had seen this? Uh, dumb cavemen. You think so? Yeah, okay, guys. So I'm going to go with extraordinary geniuses, and they would have considered that they had a technology because the Greeks didn't. The Greeks did not have art like this. They didn't have this complexity. Um, they didn't have all the constellations, and of course, a ten meter panel overlapping with each other. The Greeks, um, they they were geniuses among the Greeks, but they didn't have anybody at this artistic level. Okay, so what I think happened is the Greeks had seen this. And they, these images, and they said these people were so, for some lost civilization because there's nobody around us, just like Picasso said, none, none of us can do anything like this. So some great lost civilization. So how do, you lose, how do you lose civilizations? There's one for you, Darren. Rocks from space. <laughs> Rocks from space. There's one. What's a few others? Volcanoes. Volcanoes. It could slip yeah. into a communist hellhole. And then just <laughs> exactly, totally, yeah. floods, you know, earthquakes, you know, voices from the gods, all the stories that Plato uses to explain the lost Atlantis. Alien what do you think it was? You think they just got too fucking hedonistic and inbred and just ruined everything? Well, I think that they, they left that Europe to go back to Africa. They also went north. So the genetics of the people of these so-called, let's call it Atlantis people, actually they're Berbers, they're Amazon people in West North Africa. Their, their genetics goes into Scotland. It goes into Finland, across to, into Siberia. So the people had gone and had traveled in different directions, but they primarily went back to Africa. Because in Africa, these huge lakes, there's giraffes roaming around, and hippopotamus, and alligator, crocodiles, and um, it was, you know, a smorgasbord of food. It was like the, you know, the, the southern, um, the Kalahari is today. So you think so that, 
that same sort of thing was going on in North America too, because North America would have been a big smorgasbord back then as well. I well, guess. Well, so, so as so the. the Let's call the agreed upon story for North America, guys, right? Okay, because there's many stories. The agreed upon story is people came, that people lived in the um, the Beringia, which is probably about the size of Texas, okay? And they lived there for um, thousands of years. Um, and they were nomadic peoples and they're raider herders, all that sort of stuff. And then as the ice sheets started to melt, they came down inland and they came down through the coast. And so 14, 15,000 years ago, we start to see large numbers, larger numbers of fossil artifact records in North America. And then people, people spread out in different directions. It doesn't mean that people didn't come across rafts from the Southeast Asia and all this, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities. And there's actually multiple migrations that came over from, from what is now Siberia. Um, and so those people stayed on. And we still have we still have the DNA and the archaeological record of them today, but there were many waves that came through, and so the the, the original people DNA is diminished. But that's a different story from Africa. We're back to Africa. Twelve thousand years ago, people left. So why did they get, why did they leave? In addition to possibly why could they have left? In addition to you know better hunting opportunities in West in Morocco. Well, Gobekli Tepe pops up at the same time. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. And that's really important. So Gobekli Tepe was an agricultural civilization, or actually beginning of agriculture, right? Beginning. Well, what happened? Does it pop up then, there, or is it technically buried pop down then? then yeah, pop buried. down then. Exactly. So here's the, you know, you, you up in, in the Calgary area have the same historical phenomena here in Oregon. It wasn't the trappers the, the the European trappers that kicked out the Native Americans. It was the farmers. It was the farmers came in and they said, this land is my land. Hunter-gatherers can, can, can roam and gather all, you know, all over the place. But farmers, they settle down. And I believe it was the farmers from the descendants of the Golbeki Tepe that ultimately pushed out the people from West North Africa. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, people from Europe into West North Africa. And the DNA record shows the same thing. 10 to 12,000 years ago, people in Europe were displaced by people from the Middle East. Then those farmers got fat and lazy. Boom. Shit goes down. They all die. Yeah, farming's hard work. You guys ever been around a farm? Yeah, we're in Alberta. But okay. there's something it, it, to be said. There's still something to be said to that agricultural lifestyle compared to hunter and hunting and gathering. Oh. You're much. I, I think I would say that a hunter gathering society is much more equipped to deal with sudden changes in the environment and things like that than than a farming society. Absolutely, they're flexible. Yeah, like I mean, it, I, there's something to that argument that farming, you know, agriculture could turn out to be, you know, one of humanity's greatest downfalls in the long game. There's something to be said to that. If the lights ever, if the lights ever, wherever we lose our electricity, I'm going to charter a flight into the Sahara or into Alaska, into the remote areas where people are living off the land as they've been doing for tens of thousands of years because they don't need electricity. They don't need metal and they don't need, you know, iPhones and GPS and everything else. They navigate by the stars. They find their, their hunting implements among the animals that they kill and the bones. Um, that's how you live on. 
So was this this great cataclysmic event 12,000 years ago that destroyed the world and all this sort of stuff? I don't know. You know, lots of things happen. I, I, I have no no this, I have no issue with comets hitting and all this sort of stuff. I have no issue at all with it. But comet hit doesn't wipe out civilizations because there are people such as the people who, who travel a thousand, you know, thousand miles on foot in the, in the Sahara today. They know how to live in those conditions. And those are the people that came out of um, Europe. Well, it's interesting to think about because, I mean, what, what starts the Ice Age? You know, maybe it's uh, maybe that's a cataclysm in itself. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we live in changing times, and I'm not a climate, I'm not a climate change denialist. Um, Graham is. But, you know, things are actually going to get colder <laughs> before they get warmer. <laughs> We're heading towards another ice age. That's, a geo- that's what the geology says, okay? Well, I'll say this. This is one of our coldest winters in a long time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's weather. In terms of climate, we've, we're, we're in a kind of a sweet, warm spot right now. And we're going to go cold before we get, we get warmer again in, in the long term. So people have moved around for thousands of years. And people in Egypt, we're back to the Sphinx, Egypt was populated as the Sahara dried, people went towards Egypt and people went towards Morocco into the mountains. Okay? And so the 5,000, 6,000 years ago, um, t- lots of people show up in what is now, now Egypt. And what they did, they would have brought information with them. They would have brought their traditions and their customs. And they would have brought their art. And they would have brought this knowledge that they had of the Sphinx in this Paleolithic cave. Huh. And built it. So how old is the Sphinx? 34,000 years. So the no, origin... No, no. I think he, he's saying minimum could be no. anything from that, right? It has to be between 6,000 and 34,000 oh, years ago. Oh, so maximum. Okay. So the maximum is 34,000 where this original Sphinx we find up at the cave, is, and then the, the minimum is 6,000 where Robert Schock started out. Where does it point at Leo? Good question. Okay, we're gonna, so we talked about the, the constellations, Hercules on one end and Orion at the other on this panel. And at that time, on this panel, there's a number of animals. There's, there's an Iberian lynx, which has her, her kitten, which is um, which the size of the kitten is a June time period. We have the fledging golden eagle, which is also a June time period, and a few others. It's telling us that it's, it's actually a summer solstice scene. And in the summer solstice, around the summer solstice, 34,000 years ago, in that night sky, the lion faces east. So stellar faces east. Interesting. Really important. Okay? So which way, which way does the great sphinx face? East. Absolutely. So we have a lion... Great Sphinx, both these two characters, both facing east at the summer solstice. Hmm. Interesting, I, right? Yeah, I've heard that 34,000 year and lining up with something before for sure. Maybe it was Ed Nightingale. Oh, maybe I can't remember who it was. Yeah. So, Armando May, he wrote a book called Ancient Mysteries. And Armando said he started off with Robert Val's work and he said, Well, Robert Val's. 
constellation orientations looks pretty good, but it's not exactly how it works astronomically. So Armando May wrote a book, and he said it was 36,000 years ago. And he was going off the Vernon Equinox. He has since changed his, changed his, his work. He's going off the summer solstice, and he's going with 34,000 years ago, 34 to 35,000 years ago. John Anthony West also said it was 36,000 years ago. He said that there's two documents of the list of kings that roughly go back to 36,000 years ago. So you can find sort of a collaborating evidence. So I'm not, I'm not going with the, the, the collaborating evidence of the list of kings of 36,000 years ago. I'm going with this gallery disc where we find the original image. So Robert Vell's Orion constellation theory is based on the vernal equinox, where Orion and the Sphinx lined up 12,000 years ago in the supposed time of Plato's Atlantis. But it's a summer solstice scene. The Egyptians wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have had a different view of the night sky. So if we go off the summer solstice, the Orion, Orion constellation theory being worked in the vernal equinox, it's a different time of year. It doesn't add up. So we have sort of like the teacher's edition book to um, archaeoastronomy, Egyptology, you know, ancient history, in these images. And we can see where people, the ancients, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Phoenicians, they had all gone back and they'd seen, and they had walked away with information that they integrated through their own history and their astronomy and their mythology. We can ask the questions, who got it right? Okay. Now, I didn't get it right because I'm not the one who made this thing. Okay. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't, you know, hypothesize the different scenarios in Egypt that they could have gone back to, you know, some distant time. I just found the source book. And now we can look at everybody's ideas and their work and say, who got it right? We can say Armando May was really close. We can say John Anthony West was really close. We can say that, that um, Rob Val got the, lot, the Sphinx as Leo as being correct. He gets credit for that one because no one else had that before him. But he doesn't get the Orion Constellation Theory. So there's a problem with this whole thing. Okay, ready? And this is, this is one of the critiques of, of Baval's work is that the ancient Egyptians didn't have the lion, Leo, in their constellations. It didn't, it didn't come up until about 2,000 years ago during Greco-Roman times. Prior to that, they didn't have Leo. So if the ancient Egyptians had seen this, con this cave panel, and they'd seen these, these constellations, they'd seen the Sphinx, and they'd seen Leo, and so forth, um, how come they didn't carry forth Leo into their constellations. I don't know. It had to be somebody else. Pre-Egyptians. I mean, there's a lot. I, I like the Egyptians stumbled upon something, just took over the place. I don't. I don't believe the Egypt. The ancient dynastic Egyptians made the great things. I don't think so either. It didn't or make it. So do you think or the, the same people made the Sphinx as they made the Great Pyramids? So I believe this is, I, I'm not a pyramidologist, but I'm actually good with the Egyptian, ancient Egyptians of mating the pyramids. Everything points in that direction. But nothing points in the direction as ancient Egyptians, as the dynastic Egyptians have been made, made in the Great Six. Because they didn't have Leo. The ancient Egyptians, the um, they didn't, you know, this the, re the the recreations of the Sphinx that we find in all these different museums. They started based on the the Giza Sphinx. 
So the oldest Sphinx is the Giza Sphinx. And the source of that is 34,000 years ago. This is what I think happened, okay? And I can't prove this one way or another. But I think that another civilization had come through. And it was either prior to dynastic Egyptians or somewhere kind of just mixed in there. And they made that Sphinx. Or they carved out what was naturally there. Which is the basic storyline is the Egyptians say, the Egyptologists, except the Egyptologists say that it was the, they say that it was the ancient Egyptians. So was there an ancient civilization? Yes. Was it Atlantis a lost civilization? But it wasn't Atlantis. Well, it wasn't Plato's Atlantis of, you know, but they were, they were Atlantis people who still live in the area of Mount Atlas, as Herodotus recorded 2,000 years ago, 2,400 years ago. And those people had come from West North Africa. Those people had, were the descendants of the people who made the cave art. And made their own rock art in the sands of the Sahara. Is there any These chance highly complex images. that those pictures were drawn of the Sphinx? And they made the image. What the ones, we have this, this original Sphinx character in the the Spanish cave, we don't, I mean, we haven't, we haven't found that image in the greater Sahara okay. as it is. Hmm. I thought I saw something recently about almost fits exactly with that time frame where the DNA of our, um, what's that blood type? The R, R, the, R H negative, R H negative started at that exact, I think at, at that time as well. Which might be, I mean, is that a coincidence that... Uh, Who the fuck was doing DNA tests 34,000 years ago? No, no, no. You can tell where that uh, where it came from, how long ago. I can't remember what the what, date what, was. Did you guys ever do a 23andMe test? No, no. No. So I did mine, okay? And in my roots, I have Scottish DNA. And the root, and, uh, the root of the Scottish DNA, according to 23andMe, is the Sahara. The Berber, the Tuareg people of the Sahara. Huh. Interesting. We're all we're connected. We're connected. So it's fat. So the, we ask these questions of you know what, what what you know what did Picasso see and what did he think? Well, the ancient the Greeks and the Egyptians would have thought the same thing. They would have thought extraordinary genius, things that we could, they couldn't themselves do. They would have seen that this, these red discs are some sort of a test for the apprentice to see if you had the right stuff to become the shaman. Could you see the forest, see beyond the red disc to the animals? Could you see the forest through the trees? Could you see the animals in the savannah? So millions of us didn't pass this test. This image was, was, was broadcast all over the internet and in the popular journals and science magazines. But we didn't see it. Hmm. Just, just as Picasso said, his peers couldn't have done the previous work. We didn't even see what was in this, in this panel. But the ancient Greeks saw it. And others had as well. So next time you guys have someone on the program talking about Atlantis and the lost civilization 12,000 years ago, I mean, what do you say? I'm thinking about eating a whack of psychedelics and taking a look at the panel. See what pops. 
Interesting question. Yeah, that's so that's people. I didn't do that because I don't take psychedelics. It's actually an interesting question. But I'm going to I'm going to we're going to step back. So why did I see this when other people didn't see it? Or actually, other people didn't record seeing it. There's something called an embedded figures test. And when you were a kid, remember you, you had the the kids menu at the the, um, the diner. Yeah, do one the side matching. Of the menu, yeah, you got to do the matching of it and stuff. See what's different. And so on one side you have the, the you know the, the the waffles you know the kid sized waffles and the, the chicken fingers. The other side you have all these animals kind of in a forest. You have to find the animals. That's called an embedded figures test. And some people can do it real fast. It's going to pop out very easily. And other people kind of have to struggle for you to find those animals. This is an embedded figures test. Psychologists use it today to determine a kind of aptitude. And so the people who are trained for anthropology and archaeology, people that are studying these cave images, they're not high on the embedded figures test. They're high on other abilities because they're not tested for that when they go into their discipline. Because it's not on the SATs and it's not on the GREs. On the GREs, you're looking for math comprehension. You're looking for problem solving. None of it is visual comprehension. And that's what this thing is. The problem is some of it's subjective. Like some, you can wonder if it's pareidolia or not, right? Are you seeing something that it's not? Good question. So I started off that way and think it was pareidolia. But then after finding about 30 animals with all the tax- taxonomic details <laughs> down to the feathers, <laughs> and the, the artist doesn't just create a giraffe. He has the, the juvenile giraffe comes behind the, the neck. The artist, the mother, the the kitten of uh, the the lynx pushes up against the rough, and uh, this flesh and golden eagle. The artist shows the um, the um, the hackle in black. Um, so we have such fine deal, such such fine details. And there's a lot of paradelia like that one behind you to your left um, on the wall, but the where someone could find images within the image. But this has such fine details. And not only that, so the ancient Greeks and others had walked away have seen the same images. Why does the red discs or dots seem to just be uh, like in sort of straight lines, like in a different pattern in a way? Like, is that just what's left over from... No, that's it. That's color, a good question. Co- like, is that the last remaining color scheme from that because it's red instead of all the... Like, what if there was a bunch of other decorative colors on there that have all eroded away over the thousands of years. Well, there, there are, there's, there's two of the colors. Well, black is a non-color, but there's also blue. The face of the so-called cosmic man, what I call Hercules, he's, it's painted blue, his whole mask. It's not natural rock. Oh, okay. I didn't notice and that. And the archaeologists actually noticed that, but no, archaeologists, when they did these color scans, they noticed that that blue was there and actually seeps horizontally across the panel, which would be unnatural. Um, but they, no one ever asked the question, well, where'd the blue come from and why is it there? So the other color, here, here, so, the, um, the, so you, the other question is, why is there a pattern to the red discs? Well, geographically, they're going from north to south. Okay? And my guess is it's actually telling time. How many days does it take to get from point A to point B and back again? 
And those, so those red discs are also, they form like the molted pattern on the neck of the giraffe. They form the eyes of the apprentice and many other characters. And uh, those same characters are the night sky. So as the, the, this Paleolithic hero takes his journey from Spain to Africa and back again, the same animals he sees in the terrestrial world around him in the marine environment, he, they're projected into the night sky as the constellations as the Greeks saw them. Mm. Okay, And so those red discs are probably telling him time. How long does it take to get from north to south? That's one guess, but I don't really know that. I can't really say that. What I can say is he used those red discs, but they run across the center of that panel you might have noticed. That's yeah. kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. And what, what they draw you into it. There was, a, there was a fellow named Nicholas Tinberg who won a Nobel Prize a few years back. I believe he was Dutch. And he wrote a book called The Study of Instinct. And Tinberg, by his window, had a, a fish tank and three spine sticklebacks. And the three spine sticklebacks, that's like the, the ghetto of the fish. And um, you have these three these fish about the size of your, you know, your palm of your hand, but it's got these spikes coming up. And every day a red delivery truck came by, the fish went into defensive posture. So they got all excited. And um, he reasoned that they don't they lack the cerebral hemispheres because of cognitive thinking, that their brainstem dominated, that there's some basic instinct that would draw into the red. Now, the, the Paleolithic artist didn't know about the red three-spine sticklebacks and didn't read the, the, um, the, 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 uh, instinct, the instinct book of um, Tinbergen. But what they did realize is that people are attracted to red. And so the, the, the test, you got to get past the red. Well, it's blood. I mean, it is the color of blood. That can it's be blood. why. It's a, flight, it's a flight response. It's a fear response. Fight or fight. Flight or fight response. It draws on you. What do you think about that, Darren? I think I see a little fox down there. Oh yeah, you've caught another one. Well, I'd like to see this in. Uh, I'd like to see this in high def, like a super four K something. I can zoom in and look around. I do see a little fox there. I'll oh, send it to Darren. I, okay, Darren, there's a fox in there. You got it. All I see is there's a, a fox in there. All I see is a fox. I'm not gonna lie. That's all I found. <laughs> it's but in you know that brown what? area, right? Yeah, that's right. The fox is very prevalent in my life right now. So, yeah, there's a fox in there ding, for ding, sure. Ding 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 ding. Good one. So, Darren, you you um, the I fox win? is not an easy one to see. You might score fairly high on the EFT. I also see a rat. Where do you see the rat? Bottom left. Uh, bottom left. Okay, your bottom left is right above the pool of water. Is the pool of water blue? Uh, yes. Well, it looks like it's an actual pool of water on the floor of the cave. Oh, okay. So, so to the is it okay? It, it could be mongoose. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. There's actually two mongoose. There's a mother and her and her young that's running on her side. Yes, I see that. Yep. I can so nail you're this. Start, you're starting to see it now, Darren. So is it paradier? Or you, so I'm going to tell you a funny story. When I started working on this, I contacted some of my distant past, and it was George Schaller. And George is considered one of the foremost wildlife biologists. And he, um, I met him in my early 20s. I'm 54 now. And I was living in Beijing. And he was traveling through for some sort of um, um, movie he was making. And through a common friend, we, we went on a joint excursion outside of Beijing. And he didn't remember me. I remembered him. And I contacted him back about four years ago. And I said, hey, George, can you help me? I didn't say it that way. I said, you know, George, can, Dr. Schaller, 
can you help me to identify these animals? And first he said, you know, I'm kind of busy, and, you know, because he, he was. He was actually going off to Afghanistan to study cheaters, you know, I don't know, some animal, some animal there. And, um, and he gave me some list of names, contact these people, and I contact them. They didn't respond. A few weeks later, I contact George again, and he says, okay, I'll help you. Well, that's sort of like, you know, reaching out to Tiger Woods and saying, hey, Tiger, can you help me with my golf stroke? Tiger could look at your form and say to you, you know, maybe give up. <laughs> You're hopeless, right? <laughs> and so I took the risk of that with George. And uh, we went through them. We slowly went through them. And at first he was, you know, he was undecided about the lion because we only had the head at the time. We didn't have the body. And then we saw that he saw the, um, the elephant, but we were trying to determine whether it was a European or, or an African elephant. So we weren't just trying to figure out whether they were elephants. We were trying to figure out which weird fact they could have come from. And there was a funny, George saw the, when I, sh- I sent him the image of the giraffe, I said, George, what do you think the giraffe is doing? And he said, you know, it's probably looking at the mongoose. I've seen him do that. Mongoose run up the tree. And I said, well, George, I never showed you the mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> and so he had, so just like, just like Darren, George had, he had seen the mongoose and he had seen the, the picture fit together. I lost the fox. Well, it's, it's a tough one. And um, the fox kind of drifts in and out. That's why I said it's one of the more, the more difficult ones in the panel. Well, I want to you know, go to this place right now. now. Let's start 50, a Kickstarter. There's 50 animals. That, there's at least 50 animals on the panel. Where is this place? It's in the El Castillo Cave in the northern part of Spain. Um, we got some Span- go some Spainers in the... In the audience, we should get them to go there with some like ultra high def cameras and send us some yeah. pictures. Or we should just do, uh, we'll go to Spain. We'll do, the we'll do a podcast next, from next the cave. Contact at the cabin. We'll contact the at the cave. Well, here's another idea, guys. Am I allowed in here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, you are. Yeah. So you, um, let's, let's get a Netflix documentary going and we'll, we'll all go. Yeah. I know some people. Maybe we can make that happen. So, Darren, you're actually high in the scale of EFT because some people look at that and see nothing. I'm going to tell you right now, okay? I, I encountered one person who looked at it, and everything popped out at one. Everything I had seen at that point was like 20 or 30 animals. That person had seen all in one shot. So, to some people, it actually comes out as like a three, three dimensions. Yeah, I'm going to show this to Lisa and see she's very visual. Have you noticed a difference between men and women or anything like that or different professions that have a better eye for professions? Or? Yes, absolutely. So people who go down the track of, let's say, electrical and mechanical engineering don't have this ability where someone is a, like a graphics designer. They have they have to have this ability to do their work. The electrical and mechanical engineer are counting the red discs because they're numbers counters. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need people who keep the lights on. When we started, I, I was he, looking at the red disc, and I was like, where the fuck does he see an animal in this red yeah, disc? Yeah, but now it's I not that, in the disc. I thought yeah. the animal was supposed to be in the no. red disc. Yeah, right? it's, it's, yeah. yeah. So what What about, um, before we run out of time, I heard you talking about uh, some of your presentations for the Native Americans, and, and uh, I thought maybe you could touch on that and the hero's journey and, and what you kind of uh, showed them that was very interesting. So prior to before Ryan, I wrote Biological Time. Biological Time, I talked about the the timing uh, of, of plants and animals. And the, the first animal I, I took on was the salmon. The timing, and you guys right? have, timing, you have, you have right? salmon as far up as where you are? Uh, out west, there's salmon. 
Do you have to have water okay, for well, salmon? Okay. We don't have any water in Alberta, so that's a problem. Okay, so I'm I'm in Bigfoot and salmon territory. Okay, you're um, in Portland. You're in Antifa country too. <laughs> keep, your head, keep your head up. No, we're there. not. They come down here to protest because the oh Antifa, yeah, anti yeah Antifa country, yeah, yeah, yeah they're here, yeah. Okay, <laughs> there's Portland's a mixed crowd. Okay, it's a, and so I, I did a lot of work on salmon and the salmon time, and I get presentations of the Columbia Basin tribes as well as Fish and Wildlife agencies and. Um, um, and I gave scientific conferences, universities, and I um, and we talked about, and that's how I started this whole thing. I started with the concept of plants and animals. How did people know their time? Because they didn't have Costco's and and uh, Safeways and all these stores where they just could pull it out of a freezer. So people had to when they when the Native Americans traveled to the river to get the salmon, they needed to know the salmon were there. And so I worked on this concept of the, of the biological timing, learned that the, the Native Americans actually had that knowledge in their calendars and the hunting traditions. And then someone said to me, you know, if it's as, if it's as Native Americans have this, perhaps it could be as deep into Paleolithic times. You just go look at the caves in Europe. I started looking at the images. In fact, the timing in these caves for these animals was exactly the same as the Native Americans had in their calendars, which correspond to the biological clocks of how they, when they harvested and hunted the, the fish and the game. So it all ties back and there's knowledge that we've lost um, that we're, we're just now regaining. Um, and there's people among us like high in the EFT, like Darren, who can enlighten us and, uh, you know, bring it back. Cause we're, we're all, we're all different. Um, some people are really good at math. They can do high level math in their head. Some people are brilliant artists. They can, they can see a landscape and walk back to their home and draw it out. And some of us, like Darren, we can look into these images and we can see information that other people don't see, but information that somebody who had the same ability could see and do. And that's really important. By the way, I didn't do very well in my GREs. I'm I don't even that. know what that is. And so what I found is that people who do well in the GREs know that sort of um, testing it's a completely different way of mindset than the people who can do the high in the EFT. And it's, it's, we, we need everybody around the table. We need that neurodiversity. We need that every, that, um, you know, the presence of what each of us can bring and all of our talents. Well, that's part of the problem is you're probably lucky to get like one, one hundredth of one percent of people, you know, even English speaking people actually look at pictures like this because they'll have to like look up for their phone, for, look up from their phone for starters and maybe shut off football for a second as well. Have you ever tried looking at it, at it from way back? Like, like if, you, if they just looking, during the Super Bowl, boom, throw that motherfucker up for 30 seconds and see what those 30 million people come back with. Because I'm looking at it through the curtains about 20 feet away and I see a three dimensional like bull or, or a calf kind of thing. Oh, you mean the whole thing is a yeah. bull? No, no, no. The just, sacred cow? just with the two, with the three dimensional legs down there. You see, you see like a. So it's got like 80% of the red dots around the yeah, sacred yeah, cow? Yeah, yeah. The cow's sacred. So it's interesting too. from far back, I see different images. Actually, if, if I wear prescription glasses, when I take the glasses off, I actually see things more clearly. Do you ever try doing like the magic eye thing where you go up real yeah, close? That's, that's what I was thinking. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go to Spain with you. I'll bring the mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting approach and um the question is so people 
my assumption is that people who have been taking psychedelics had seen these images, okay, either through the caves or they'd seen them in the magazines or online. But they didn't they didn't come forth with it. So I think it's it's not the psychedelics won't bring this forth, but it's how you're wired. So between the two of you, I mean, Darren, you're jump you saw the mongoose right away, right? You, I mean you're um you saw the rat, but that's pretty cool. Um, you saw the fox was a really tough one. There's, and you, other things are probably rolling around your head. And what you're going to find, Darren, is that oh, you're, when you walk outside into the light tomorrow, your your mind, your brain is kind of kind of rewiring to do this. And you're going to see animals in the bushes. You're going to see, you know, bunnies in the clouds, because the images itself um, is it not just tests the apprentice but also rewires you to make you do, the ability to do it um, further. Yeah, Maybe I'll get better at drawing yeah. stuff. Yeah, It's amazing stuff. Well, wow, that's, so you guys, that's so great. As, as our wrap-up, how old is the Sphinx? 34,000 years. 6,000 to 34 and earliest six, right? Yeah. I still think. Uh, here's the thing. I'm in the middle of watching Magical Egypt 2. So maybe it is 36,000 and they drew the Sphinx. Maybe it was all the okay. same people. Could it all be the same people? Um, the guy who built the Sphinx know. is up in Spain, and he's telling these people about the Sphinx, and they're not getting it. And he's like, "All right, man, give me a, give me some paint. Give me a bone chisel." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Atlantis, guys. So Atlantis. So was Atlantis twelve thousand years ago, or is it Herod did Herodotus encounter Atlantis twenty four hundred years ago? Here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball. I think that Atlantis was now the 36,000 years ago and that okay. whatever happened 12,000 years ago, that wasn't Atlantis. That was the people who maybe had some faint memory of Atlantis. Yeah. And, well, they uh, could, so the, so the 34, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with your Jared that the ancients, the Egyptian, the, the Greeks had seen these images and they walked away from it the same way as Picasso said, this was incredible technology. And that these people aren't here today, so they must have been lost by some great con catastrophe. Yeah, because you wonder if it is even paint or something like that, right? Maybe it's just like some sort of like weird 3D fucking print imaging or, you know? Exactly. And so ne another question, are how is genius a modern invention of the human mind or could there have been geniuses tens or hundreds of thousands of years before? There's probably more geniuses because we didn't pigeonhole them or hold them back or exactly. I mean, genius to me, genius is pretty uh, pretty subjective. I think genius is fairly subjective. Correct. So exactly, the pigeonholing is really important as a concept. We we really need to have everybody around the table and people express their own abilities. And as final, the final, final one is um, how do you find my work? Go to beforeorion.com there we go good one and I'll put all the links to all that stuff in the show notes we'll put all your uh, social media in the show notes for people you stay yeah. safe out there in Portland I'm serious I've been to Portland a few times in the last couple of years <laughs> I don't I get, every time I say that I get in trouble we'll get some emails now about how I'm a hater but I don't know man I would not want to go wandering around by myself in the dark around Portland that's just if me. the lights go out we have lots of salmon and I know how to catch them that, there you go right on <laughs> just don't let you better just share your salmon with, with the Bigfoot. Antifa. With Bigfoot, too. With Bigfoot, you got yeah, it. Yeah. Right on. Thanks Brand, for coming on, buddy. Darren, yeah. Thank you very much. Come Thanks. back anytime.
And that was our episode with Bernie Taylor. What'd you think, buddy? I think you got pareidolia. You do? You do. <laughs> I could have Seeing that. Seeing animals in the rocks. No, I'm just kidding. No, there's some, it, it is interesting when I look from farther back. I mean, it, I think it's one of those things you can see things from different angles. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to see if we can get what kind of high def, because, you know, it'd be worth 50 bucks to take it to SurePrint there and get them to print out like a great big one and just fucking. Yeah, that would be cool. Just then, to look at it, right? Then, well, it's hard to look at it on the screen to have an actual. And get another one that you can play around with the lines and make, yeah. make like, highlight them. Yeah, we'll just have it in the corner and see Every if once in a while you one. see one and you yeah. highlight it. We'll put it in the bathroom. I didn't understand at first that it was a panel with a whole bunch of different ones on there. I thought it was just like no, me each neither. separate okay. one. I, yeah. I just figured that out. And then I was like, yeah. when I seen the fox is when yeah. I was looking at the red dot still. And I was like, I don't see it. When you saw the fox? And then I seen the fox. You saw the fox. Yeah. When you saw it. Seen? Saw. Saw. Why not seen? Because it's saw is the right word. Isn't seen past it. tense? That's You'd have to say, I have seen the fox. Yeah, you're probably right. That does sound more proper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. Anyway, I'd like to go to this cave. I really would. Yeah, it was a fun episode. We got I enjoyed... some listeners in Spain. I'd like to or hear from someone yeah, that's been to the cave and what they've seen. This is one I enjoyed uh, talking and, and watching Bernie's uh, slides more than listening to him on other shows and stuff. So it was good to, good to have him on. Absolutely. Hopefully I ask some different questions. Yep, we hopefully. always tend to throw some curveballs at these yep. folks. That's all right. That's what we do here in Grimerica. Big thanks to Bernie for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Of course, head over to grimerica.ca slash support. Uh, before we shut this motherfucker down to a lack of support, just kidding. Uh, but seriously, head over to grimerica.ca slash support today. Because, because we uh, need it. Yeah, yeah. We could definitely use some more support at this point to help. Uh, a little cushion. We could use a little cushion between us and uh, the man coming us to collect the, the rent. Winter. Yeah, that's, oh, that too. Actually, our landlord's great. I hate to call him a man, but he still does want his rent money every month, so we could use a few more supporters for that. We've got some other ideas we'd like to uh, we'd like to take on, but they all need a little more support. And uh, head over to grammerica.ca slash support today. Sign up. I sign up for the newsletter too, grammerica.ca slash news. Just do all the shit in the show notes. Seriously, we got the, the amount of listeners compared to, I mean, less than 1% support that's just part of the problem, folks. We got less than 1% support, less than 1% reviews, less than yeah, 1% yeah. sharing, and less than 1% signed up for the newsletter. Do we have to start splitting episodes in half to get more people to donate? I mean, we don't want to do that. Well, we might have to do something here if these guys don't figure it out. Yeah, that's what we don't Because do I feel that. like, you know, I feel like we were adding some value. Yeah. The value just ain't like coming it. back. We're getting I mean, lots a fucking review, feedback. motherfucker. Getting review the feedback. show. It doesn't cost you anything. Don't call do, anybody. Okay, I'm sorry I called you a motherfucker. Is that why you think? Maybe. Maybe you should stop swearing at the guests. Swearing at them? They're in the people. So just stop say? swearing in general. You swear more than I do. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> On other people's shows. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>